Saturday Night Addiction on a brand new channel dedicated to The Rundown. You can find us on our brand new YouTube channel, The Rundown, on YouTube. Tonight we have a guest, special guest, Catholic Comedy, who's going to be joining us. But I think the main reason why most of you tune in is for the introduction to the show. And I hope this week's does not disappoint. Catholic Disinfo Hour, celebrating its second year of weekly production. The Rundown is a collaborative Catholic news and opinion show endeavoring to expose and mock the Build Back Better New World Order in both civil society and the church. We've correctly predicted lockdowns, mandates, elections, and public frauds of all manner. Covidians hate us, normies try to ignore us, and fake news organizations wish they could be us. This is The Rundown. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com
Okay, enough of that. That was the rundown intro. Uh, It is Ember Friday. It is the 11th day of the third month of the 2022nd year of our Lord. Uh, Everyone can feel free to unmute your microphones. This is the rundown. We have so much to get started with. First of all, we took one week off and the world went to war. Last week, we brought you one of the preeminent experts on geopolitical affairs, and we talked nothing well, we talked about Russia and nothing else. There is so much domestic policy and Biden stuff that we have to get through this week. Uh, and I think the first thing we need to do is start with Nancy. Well, the appropriators will are, will be negotiating all of this. Uh, the fact is the $22 billion for COVID is absolutely necessary. In fact, we we'll probably will need more as we uh, uh, need more uh, therapies. The, this, one, of the per, I, one of the pieces of this is to buy the pills that will be you, – you, you get a sign, you take the pill. It's no longer about something being a sub-freezing temperature – only um, having a shelf life of a certain amount of day. This is science. This is going forward. So I would hope that they would see uh, the wisdom of the science of what we need to do in terms of COVID, because what we, the last thing we need is more transmission. Transmission is where variants are created. And a new variant is a new challenge. So let's do as much prevention or early intervention as we can. And I would hope that they would. Now, how they pay for it and this or that, that's that's a negotiation there. Uh, what was the other part? Do you plan on pushing that out as a separate vote? And then how do you plan on handling the Ukraine money? Well, at the present time, the fastest way for us to get the Ukraine money is for us to have it on the um, – this legislation, so we'd hope that we can just come to agreement to putting it forth. And it's about, again, humanitarian assistance, it's about uh, security assistance, and it's about economic assistance for them. So it's a, it's very important. And this is the legislative process. We will, the, the, uh, I'm an appropriator, so, you know, I'm always trusting that left to their own devices, the appropriators, Democrats, Republicans, have Okay, that's enough of Nancy. She says that we need more money for pills. I think I think I think she's on enough pills, I would say, Ryan. I think Nancy Pelosi probably is medicated enough. It sure looks like that. And all I can think of is the other day when I walked outside of my office, I'm about two blocks down from a Walgreens. So as I was walking to go to my cigar lounge where I am uh, now, actually, ensconced in the owner's office. Um, I, would, I could see the Walgreens drive-through, and it was the traffic was wrapped around the Walgreens to get through the drive-through. They have they have a window, and then they have uh, one of those windows like a bank window, um, where all the drugs are coming down. And, and I'm just looking at this in disbelief. Is like that many people have to pick up their drugs? Mm-hmm. I sh- that, that's insanity. And and I stopped and realized, wow, actually, I'm probably in a minority of people that. Doesn't hasn't used prescription drugs probably in a good thirty years uh, yeah. since the last time I had a prescription drug of any sort, uh, except maybe once in college I was dumb enough to take uh, whatever antibiotic of the month they were recommending and then I got sicker. So um, 
but but see, here it is. I mean, we have a society of drug addicts, and you think of California. I'm sure you have quite a few, just they're legal drugs. So a little surprise if your politicians are all up on drugs and they can't talk coherently. Mm -hmm. And I'm reminded of something in scripture. I think it's in Proverbs. Woe to the nation whose whose king is a child. And when, and wow. I think of that. It, why? Because a child can't make its own decisions because it's not quite there uh, at the age of reason or what have you. It's not trained, not tested. What about when there are a bunch of old men and old women on drugs? Um, that, that have handlers and they don't even know where they are unless somebody directs them everywhere. Listen, I know that we have within the rundown audience quite a few members from the Golden State of California, a state in which I've lived four times, twice as a child and twice as an adult. It's almost like an addiction I can't quit. You brought up California, though, only in a place like California, James, can, can Nancy Weinbox Pelosi get elected? Here's a graphic of the exodus from California. People are leaving like uh, like rats off of a sinking ship. Look at this. Wow. This is where they're going to. These are places where they're going. I'm like I'm like watching my state, right? I know. <laughs> I live in Arizona. I know that. <laughs> Oh yeah, well, you're, yeah. Arizona's blue for sure because of the Californians. I mean, look at this. You know, this is a uh, this is someone who doesn't have the temperature. Uh, she doesn't know exactly what's happening in her, in her own district. Of course, people are voting uh, her into office. They have no idea. I mean, do, do if Nancy Pelosi herself doesn't read bills before she passes them, I doubt if her constituents are doing the same. You know, um, she keeps getting reelected, and I, I really don't know why. Uh, you know, I could say it's rigged, but um, it's either here nor there. The fact is, she's still in, she's still in office, uh, and uh, you know, they're passing what, what was it, thirteen trillion? Uh, sorry, one point three trillion dollars. Uh, right now, they just the Senate just sent into uh, mm -hmm. Biden's hands, and I mean, what, here's a huge problem. You know, or, or have they solved yet the problem? of uh, frequent defecation in the streets of California. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. And it's it, a real and thing. It's both, Absolutely. It's both and, LA and, and, and to, why she gets, to why she gets elected, here's the simple answer. I lived in California for a couple of years, unfortunately. And the only bright spot of that is that's, that's where I married my wife. Otherwise, um, they redistricted back in the 90s. And the way they redistricted divided up conservative oh, districts Mander. between other districts so basically guaranteed one party rule forever it will always be democrat rule every once in a while you might sneak in a governorship because of the demographics but but ultimately it's it that that legislature is always going to be democratic it's always going to be you know swinging even more to the left because california wants to keep that reputation of pushing through the most progressive things they can as often as they can no matter um what the cost happens to be. So that's just where well, it's going to keep going. Cost, that's why she will keep getting elected. Speaking of cost, cost for everything is going up, Catholic Comedy. Thank you for joining us, special guest, Catholic Comedy. Mm -hmm. uh, from Arizona, you've revealed, although yes. I, I don't actually know your name, and you don't have to tell me because we're live, but maybe no, you can that's, it to me later. No, it's it's okay. My name is not important. It is Catholic Comedy is, is what I do, and my name is just bleh. 
the person behind <laughs> the man behind the mask means nothing. It's it's the, the well as a, as a figure as, as a figure you're you're much more yeah. powerful as a symbol. That's as, right. Like I'm much more powerful right. as a demon. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yes. So yes. here's okay. I want to play three successive videos, and I want Capcom and Brother Martin to react to it because, uh, well, I mean, just the hypocrisy. We, we are hardwired to despise hypocrisy as human beings. We hate it. We hate hypocrisy. Um. So the first video is called <laughs> Buy a Tesla. Clean transportation can bring significant cost savings for the American people as well. Last month, we announced a $5 billion investment to build out a nationwide electric vehicle charging network so the people from rural to suburban to urban communities can all benefit from the gas savings of driving an EV. Okay, so that is your Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, and Pete Buttigieg is talking about clean emissions, but he doesn't seem to know what his exhaust pipe is for. Um, that's by a Tesla. Here's by a Tesla part two. Obviously, we have the acute issues with the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack, but looking more holistically in a macro view, how does this speed up the efforts at DOE to move in more of a renewable direction since this is going to have an impact on people at the pump? Yeah, I mean, we obviously are all in on making sure that we meet the president's goals of getting to 100% clean electricity by 2035 and uh, net zero carbon emissions by 2050. And, um, you know, if you drive an electric car, this would not be affecting you, clearly. Uh Okay, if you drive an electric car, this wouldn't be affecting you. The question for the president of the United States, do you drive an electric car? Just one yeah. more about electric vehicles. You guys are pushing electric vehicles today. This is a president who always talks about the power of our example. Mm-hmm. Does he own an electric vehicle? Presidents of the United States don't do a lot of driving. He's posted videos where he's revving the engine of his Corvette in Wilmington. He owns cars. And he also has driven electric vehicles as president, as, as to give a model to the rest of the country. Does he own one? I think the president's record on this is clear, Peter. Presidents of the United States, current, and when they are no longer, typically are not doing a lot of driving. Go ahead. Catholic comedy. Uh, if Let me take. If you just had like a car, you wouldn't care what the gas prices are. Is that how it works? No. Uh, I think it's pretty <laughs> obvious. Well, first of all, because electric cars, I'm just not even from a political aspect of it, but electric cars do still need to be powered up and unless you're powering them with solar panels which is only like something that's possible within like arizona because we have so much sunshine but you're still going to be powering them from some semblance of fossil fuel either you know you're going to be using coal or you're going to be using uh gasoline or uh anything along those lines um but yeah i mean you you the electric vehicles are not going to solve the problem and there's more happening for just than just the gas aspect of it, like just the gasoline aspect of it. It's, uh, I mean, uh, uh, electricity costs are going up around the country as well because electricity uses a lot of these different types of things. It just, it's not, it's, it's, I feel really badly for a lot of politicians because they, they're basically, they don't have time to really do a lot of the research and they have all these researchers and they hand them pieces of paper and say, this is what you should talk about, or this is how you should present things. And, they always they always end up coming out sounding dumb <laughs> because like they just they don't have the time to really do the proper research themselves mm-hmm. and then they get asked questions and they're just like well 
Oh, it's kind of like when here. it's kind of like when Winebox Pelosi said we have to read Obamacare or we have to pass Obamacare before we know what's in it because she had no time to read it, Brother Martin. Uh, the, the 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 if you have a hard time paying seven bucks a gallon for gas, Brother Martin, how how logical is it that you're going to buy an eighty thousand dollar Tesla? I mean, what the? How is that a solution? A car loan. You just get yourself more in debt. <laughs> You, uh, you owe money. Usury. <laughs> exactly, usury. You just get yourself in debt and you just keep paying and paying all the interest. Uh, maybe the federal government will, will get into this business and start issuing car loans as, you know, wow. to, to, do, to inaugurate this new clean energy uh, era for our cars. Um, I would like to put out there that the Oblates of St. Augustine does not own any, own any cars, so we cannot just transfer to a, an electric vehicle unless someone, <laughs> some generous benefactor wants to buy us a $60,000 car. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is, this is pretty in, insane. If you can't afford seven buck g- gallon of gas, how are you supposed to possibly afford something half as are you, expensive? Are you comparing yourself to Joe Biden? Are you saying that you're like the president, you don't do much driving? Who's your driver? Brother Chewy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to make another point on this, which is. Uh, oh, sorry. Oh, you put me. Okay. You kicked me out. I, uh, <laughs> no, I, I want to make another point here. That's something that, that, that has been, I've seen some people bring up, but has been brought up as part of the full conversation is. Um, I have to have, I have six kids, right? Which means that my total family is eight people and we're not done. So we could, you know, you know, theoretically have more and in practice we will, but you can't fit a family of, of eight inside of an electric vehicle, any electric vehicle. There are no electric vehicles that will be able to transport large numbers of people. It just, they just don't make them. You're not going to have that. So like if you have a large family and you know, it's not that uncommon to have a larger family, even a family of like six where, you know, just four kids with two parents not going to fit in an electric car it just it won't work yeah no it's true uh and also by the way you're reproducing like rabbits and the holy father or at one of the men in white in rome discourages that um speaking of inflation (laughs) president biden president biden wants you to understand it's not his fault i'm sick of this stuff we have to talk about it because the American people think the reason for inflation is government spending more money. Simply not true. <laughs> oh, okay. no, I'm no. convinced. I'm he, convinced. He, he does have a point. The reason for inflation is not that the government is spending more money. It's that the government is printing more money. It's the, the, ah, the, it's the, the expenditure it's, comes it's the with it. Print. It's in the fine printing right. of money. <laughs> James. <laughs> James. Uh, fake Catholic usurper in chief Joe Biden says yeah. it's Russia's fault. Uh, in fact, here, uh, he, and, he, and he assures you, that, don't worry, he's the comforter in chief, and he tells you, don't worry, prices are going to go up. They're going to go up. <laughs> Can't do much right now. Russia is responsible. Roger's responsible. Do you buy that? Oh my goodness. We've been talking about this since before this uh, episode of this uh, yet again episode of Ukraine and Russia escalated. We've been talking about it before uh, that being able to 
be self-sufficient as a country is should be number one priority. You know, and if if anything, 2020 at least taught a, a majority of us that uh, relying on anything uh, related to food or to uh, transportation, uh, you know, relying on, on these, you know, needs uh, being brought in, being being imported from other countries puts us at a great uh, risk and a great uh, disadvantage. So I'm not sure what uh, Biden is talking about because before this newest escalation with Ukraine and uh, Russia, uh, Biden's first move when he entered into office was to uh, get rid of the uh, pipeline, you know, and uh, I, I don't I don't get how he's now trying to gaslight us. And, uh, you know, so this this whole incident never happened. I, OK, I mean, this I, is, I suppose that, is what, that is exactly what this yeah. is. It's gaslighting. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan, you know, I'm not a Trump guy. I know you're not a Trump guy. The lockdowns happened underneath Trump. He started Operation Warp Speed. Uh, he, uh, he, he was the first president of the United States to appoint an openly, uh, an open sodomite to the cabinet. But on, on the other hand, in the Trump Biden debate, he absolutely predicted what was going to happen with respect to energy costs. Here's, here's the comment. Would you close down it's the oil industry? Way, I would transition from the oil industry. Yes. Oh, I would transition. It is a big statement because I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. I see. Here's the deal. But that's a big statement. Well, if you let me finish the statement, because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time, over time. And I'd stop giving to the oil industry. I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. He won't give federal subsidies to the to the gas. Excuse me, to the to uh, solar and wind. Why are we giving it to oil industry? We actually do All give right. it to solar and wind. We and that's maybe the biggest question. statement in terms of business. That's the biggest statement. Okay. Because basically what he's saying is he is Mr. going President. to destroy the oil industry. Okay. Will you remember that, Texas? Will you okay. remember that, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma? Vice President Biden, let me give you 10 seconds to respond. And then I... uh, he was right. Yeah, he was absolutely right. And... I mean, apart from, yeah, how we feel about Trump versus Biden, they give you heroes, they give you the villains, and you're supposed to cheer and boo when, when told. But it doesn't mean that they won't say something that's true. And, and the thing is, Biden had, in the left in general, had committed themselves, especially the radical left, to we have to shut down all human industry to save the planet because that's more our, our fictitious notion of how the planet works is more important than human life. And just like I've said it in so many places before, the, 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 what's the big line from the World Economic Forum, from the UN, from scientists, from Bill Gates, everyone when it comes to the planet is net zero. John Kerry was just talking about this, not to our path to net zero, right? And what does that mean? Net zero means genocide. I mean, even far beyond um, whether Catholic comedy can drive in a in an electric car with all his kids or i have i have seven kids can i you know i'm not going to be doing that either but it's mm-hmm. they have committed themselves when you go into the schools and you teach the kids the world's <laughs> going to end in 12 years yeah and then and, and now they're terrified i don't know if you remember the video where they're talking to i think it was diane feinstein or someone like that in the senate uh this group of kids and school teachers and she's like we're doing everything we can but that's not enough the world's going to end in 12 years oh my goodness and they really believe it and that's the problem. So Biden is, you know, is going to parrot this whole line 
because it's been predetermined. They are going to build, bring all human production to zero. And the best way to do that, you make it too expensive uh, to get these yeah. things. So no matter whether there was going to be, you know, a war, whether the war with, you know, Putin's activity right now was planned or was not planned, doesn't really matter. Uh, without it, gas prices were going to go up and oil production is going to go down because that is how you meet your World Economic Forum target goals. That's how you meet all the uh, your ESG scoring. In case anyone's not familiar um, with uh, ESG scoring, hold on, I'm going to share my screen real quick for this. Um, because without government, you still have the push to net zero. All right, here we go. You see in this? Yep. Yeah. Okay, good. Technocracy news and trends. I do highly recommend it. Patrick Wood, he's been researching these things for a long time. ESG scoring drives companies into sustainable development, aka technocracy. And so, and I'm not going to read this article, everyone. I do encourage you to go find it on Technocracy News. But what it's basically talking about has what ESG is environment, social, and governance. And it's how non-governmental organizations, UN treaties, and governmental organizations, big business, big oil, right? They are all working to create what they call the sustainable environment. And so what are they going to do? They're going to create a social credit score. Okay. And, and so let me just do this little quip, clip, which he is taking from Forbes. So not crazy conspiracy websites. It's Forbes that he's quoting. The story of ESG investing began in January 2004 when former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan wrote to over 50 CEOs of major financial institutions, inviting them to participate in a joint initiative under the auspices of the UN Global Compact with the support of the International Finance Corporation and the Swiss government. The goal of the in initiative was to find ways to integrate ESG into capital markets at 2004, mind you. Right. And so this has been something they've been working on. They've been planning for a while. And so Biden is just the latest mouthpiece getting handed, just as Scott the Comedy said, getting handed his paper to say, hey, we're going to push <laughs> these things. And uh, all right, um, yeah, we're going to shut down the gas because that's how the companies will get their score that says they're sustainable. When they have that ESG score, then they can get investment. But if that ESG score drops, they won't get any investment. They won't be able to remain competitive. They'll go out of business. And I'm then that laughing. ESG score I'm, will be applied to you individually. I'm laughing because, Catholic Comedy, somebody handed Joe Biden the wrong piece of paper. How do we get to the place where... You know, Putin decides he's going to just invade Russia. Nothing like this has happened since World War II. <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Did I hear that right? Hold on. Did I hear that right? How do we get to the place where, you know, Putin decides he's going to just invade Russia? Nothing like this has happened since World War II. So it seems like... Like he's he's going he's going with one of uh, Putin's talking points, which is to say that Ukraine should be Russia, and so he's invading. Putin is invading Russia by invading Ukraine. So I think he's he's coming out in support of uh, Vladimir Putin, which is a weird <laughs> stance for him to take. This is this is this is a an enigma wrapped inside of a uh, uh, whatever that saying is. Um, by the way, so we're 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 talking about dear leader, fake Catholic usurper in chief Joe Biden. We didn't have time uh, last week to run this video. This is him on Ash Wednesday. Fake Catholic and super intrigued Joe Biden, Brother Martin. And he's got ashes on his forehead. And he's asked about Roe v. Wade. People of Ukraine. And last night, you said you support Roe v. Wade as a Catholic. Why did you support abortion as a Catholic? Well, I, teaching. I tell you what. I don't want to get in a debate with you on theology, but you know. 
Well, anyway, I, I'm not going. I'm not. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make a judgment for other people. intentionally targeting? Did you see how his wife came to try to save him, brother Martin? And he was like, "Oh, at least he was based. He was like, hey." Jill, get away on the grass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he might have to get back in the kitchen. Is that what I, is that what I heard? <laughs> Make me a sandwich. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but no, I mean, even this, this past week, the news, and we're talking about fake Catholics, real Catholics, the Catholics that get promoted, the Catholics that, that get defended versus the Catholics that um, get booted out in the streets. This past week, there was two scenarios of two different bishops, a tale of two different bishops. I mean, earlier this year, we had the tale of two Jameses with James Altman and James Martin uh, getting two different treatments. And this past week, we had two different treatments with, with two different bishops. One uh, was Bishop Zanqueta, who was from Argentina, who uh, Archbishop Cardinal Jorge Bergoglio defended, protected while he was in Argentina. Later, Jorge Bergoglio became pope. He invited Bishop Zanqueta over to Rome to have a job when... Uh, Argentina wanted to prosecute this bishop for possible, um, you know, sexual abuse of seminarians, whatever else. Um, Pope Francis refused to give Argentina the documents that they were asking for in discovery to, to prosecute this guy. Well, eventually Argentina had enough evidence on its own to prosecute him, convicted him. And now, you know, Pope Francis is in the situation where he invited this, this, this predator uh, to wor even work in the Vatican. And then we have this bishop of Puerto Rico who is staunch anti-LGBT, uh, who is who is faithful? Provided the only two traditional Latin masses in Puerto Rico, um, refused to send his seminarians to the 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 seminary of the entire Puerto Rico because all the other bishops there were uh, very progressive, and and there was one oh all the other bishops of Puerto Rico wanted to sign a document that said uh, taking the jab is is charity, and he refused refused to sign that document. Well, at fifty seven years old, uh, you know, thirteen years prior to his need to resign. Pope Francis gives him the boot, just kicks him out, just just removes him from from his see, removes him from being a uh, the the local ordinary, and those are the kind of people that get the boot, you know, very unjustly. Are the people that actually stand up for Catholic doctrine versus those um, in in Germany also? The German seminarial way, Cardinal Brandmuller recently uh, released a document saying that this is this is crazy what the Germans are doing, and so we kind of see now between President Biden, between um, you know what it means to be a fake Catholic, what it means to be a real Catholic. Um, that you know you're promoted if you're a fake catholic but if you're persecuted you're real catholic so for that everyone needs to take into consideration you know who's being uh, promoted and who's being persecuted and, and choose who their real shepherds are yeah um and and still on the on the topic of biden uh you know it it, it doesn't seem like there's there's any real opposition to fake Catholic usurper in chief Joe Biden. And you can see that we live in a uniparty system. You can see that it's a false dichotomy and not real choices, just by the words of Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. If you can't admire Joe Biden as a person, then it's probably, you got a problem. <laughs> you need to do some self-evaluation because what's not to like? And um, he's the nicest person I think I've ever met in politics. Is that right? He is as good a man as God ever created. He's as good a man as God ever created, Joe Biden, James. He's as good a man as God ever created. He likes to kill babies, but he's still a good man. By the way, this is Lindsey Graham who goes out to Twitter and says, Hey, is there any, are there any Brutuses in Russia? Can somebody please just assassinate Putin? 
He's calling for the assassination of a world leader on Twitter, and he doesn't get banned. But if you say, I don't know, if you say libtard, you might you <laughs> might get banned from Twitter for saying libtard. I know someone who was Well, Facebook and Twitter have said you can call for violence against Russians now, and that's completely okay all of a sudden, even <laughs> if they may have nothing good to say about Putin. doesn't matter. They're Russians, so therefore uh, you can advocate for violence against them. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, well. Canada is banning Pychowski. Canada is literally banning, in fact, banning uh, performances by Tychowski. It's like, wait a minute, you guys. Tychowski was gay. Are you a, are attacking a gay composer? Oh, who's a pioneering composer for the early 20th century? I oh, guess boy. they are. <laughs> no, I'm glad you brought up Canada because I do have this vintage uh, Trudeau video in which 2015 Trudeau is talking about 2022 Trudeau. And it's really weird. Like, he's really afraid of him, his future self. Fear is a dangerous thing. Once stoked, whether by a judge from the bench or a prime minister with a dog whistle, there is no way to predict where it will end. These are troubling times. Across Canada, and especially in my home province, Canadians are being encouraged by their government to be fearful of one another. For me, it is both unconscionable and a real threat to Canadian liberty. Fear is a real threat, Catholic comedy, to Canadian liberty. Fear is. Uh, yeah, I mean, fear... All right, so... Y- y- this is again one of those things like politicians before they really get into power will say one thing and then they see the you know the power comes to them and like oh i'm going to change my mind right because like you can look through any example of uh of any prior politicians that ran on like so obama ran on ending the patriot act right and then when he gets into office he extends it um and this kind of thing or you'll say one thing and then you'll you'll do another uh, just just to get the votes and just to get into office, trying to play off of people's desire for uh, for a reformer and their desire for a, um, you know, like someone who's going to bring them hope instead of despair. It's, it's, it's sad when that type of thing happens, when you, when somebody has that change and they move from uh, the, I'm here to bring you, to, uh, to bring you peace and, I'm, and instead they bring war and, and terrible times. It just, it's, it's not fun at all <laughs> to, to live through the times that we live in, but. Uh, yeah, is- I know how James, how ironic is it that Justin Trudeau, who has weaponized fear, who is, who has placed the entire country Canada in, in fear of the sniffles and half of them still are afraid of the sniffles. I hate to say it. Uh, he's, he's the purveyor of fear. You know, that's probably one of the worst acting jobs I've ever seen Trudeau do as a performer. Uh, you know, the, uh, the the platform that he runs on has been fear ever since he got into office, you know, and uh, it makes sense because when you put a picture of uh, the, the former uh, dictator of uh, Cuba side by side with Trudeau, you kind of see that resemblance, right? And so it makes sense that he is as, uh, you know, uh, much of a, purveyor as uh as 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 uh castro was in cuba you know uh but uh he's not he's not selling this to anybody and uh we all know him 
uh, he has a lot, he's had a long record of 2020 of putting uh, his people in uh, you know situation which a lot of them obviously like you just said you know they're still living under fear you know and uh, why, why are we all of a sudden in the position to trust anything he has to say when uh, he's been doing the very same thing to the Canadian people uh, since 2020 and, and obviously a little earlier but um, yeah you know it's 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 uh, absolutely asinine. No, but but even in this country, in these United States, you know, you 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 look at uh, you look at what's about to happen in uh, the twenty twenty two elections, Ryan. Most likely, it's going to be conservative wave. Most likely, there's going to be so called you know Republicans uh, advancing upon a Capitol Hill. But we're just going to get more of the same. If we're fortunate enough to have the majority next year, I'll be the majority leader. I'll decide in consultation with my members what to put on the floor. And let me tell you what would not be a part of our agenda. We will not have as part of our agenda a bill that raises taxes on half of the American people and sunsets Social Security and Medicare within five years. That will not be part of a Republican Senate majority agenda. We will focus instead on what the American people are concerned about. Inflation, energy, defense, the border, and crime. Uh, Republicans, I, I don't know who, who originated this quote. I'd love to take the credit. I can't. Republicans are basically just Democrats in slow motion. When you get down to it. And uh, Cocaine Mitch up there, yeah, we're going to do this thing. We're not going to do anything like a, ser- a party serious about fighting for your rights as Americans. We're not going to do the things to protect you from, oh, I don't know, the encroachments of big government, of uh, you know, national ID, digital ID uh, coming in that's going to you know, require you to do all the things government tells you to to access basic services or even do basic purchases. We're not going to worry about all that because that's a conspiracy theory, even though we're gradually building the infrastructure in the open right now and boasting about it. Mm. Um, why, why do you like, call him Cocaine Mitch? What is that nickname? Oh, okay. So that, that's actually a fun <laughs> little joke. So that goes back to uh, elections many moons ago where uh, Mitch, um, or maybe it was in 2020, I forget, um, Mitch McConnell's uh, opponent, because uh, his wife is Chinese. And so she accused, uh, you know, her because she has family connections that like maybe some extended family might have been involved somewhere that she doesn't even know with some kind of drug trafficking. So so she started calling him cocaine Mitch as a way to uh, attack his campaign. And and as much as I cannot stand Mitch McConnell, I do give him points for this. He took that and ran with it and started selling shirts and wearing them. It said cocaine Mitch on it. So it's like, yeah, I give the guy credit for for that. That was kind of humorous, but uh, so I like, <laughs> I just like picking that, picking that up, but we, it's going to be more of the same though with the Republicans do nothing. Yeah. Well, we might get to that and uh, do something about this. I, I think back to 1996 and nominating Bob Dole to run against Bill Clinton or it would have been 95 actually when that happened, but it's uh, it, the Republicans had it in the bag. Clinton was as unpopular as he ever was going into that election. And uh, and Perot only got a small smidgen of that third party vote. Uh, a charismatic Republican could have absolutely owned it. But no, oh, it's his turn after all. He's been sitting there and he was the least charismatic person they could have put in there. Anything Republicans do always is just back in the narrative, just slower. So you yeah. won't see any real change. You won't see you'll just see them fighting and create a little bit of gridlock for, for our attention. 
but okay let me let me push back on that just a little bit let me just ask you one question weren't we better off ryan grant with this Bring it in here, Putin. It gave yeah. us Bring more time. Bring it in. Bring it in. Bring it in, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it in. <laughs> it, it, what it, you know what? I, I'd be a little bit happier under Trump, and things would actually be just as humorous, uh, you know, with what was going on, um, as they are with, with uh, Biden. But we would have more time to prepare. You wouldn't have so many things catastrophically going to this level. And frankly, I don't think Putin would have invaded Ukraine with Trump on the other side, because I think he, uh, he didn't know what Trump might actually do. You know, as he was a bit of a loose cannon, what, what could he do? He might actually mobilize him back militarily. And so, and, and if, if all the reports we're getting have a semblance of truth to them, Russia has not dominated the way they should have, a very small country with a very small military. And, and it's taken them a lot more time, and I don't know if that's because they're trying to be careful not to kill civilians, or if they just don't have the capacity one airport I was reading about, they supposedly charged in with their forces and got surrounded, outflanked by the inferior Ukrainian military. It's like, well, how does that happen? Unless yeah. it's really more of a paper tiger with nukes, which it very well may be. I don't know. I don't have that. Well, I know Russia. It's hard to determine what's actually power, happening. But, I, I mean, I, I can't. I can't make heads or tails of it. I see these reports, Brother Martin, of you know, of Russian troops that are deserting because they're hungry. They don't have the will to fight. It's really cold over there. Um, that, I mean, that doesn't sound like the Ruskies who defeated Nazi Germany. You know, like I, I, I don't I, I don't buy that it's so cold that the Russians have stopped fighting. I mean, that's that doesn't seem real to me. Yeah, it's kind of surprising, too, because one of the one of the uh, videos that you've played uh, quite a few times here on the rundown is the the Russian military advertisement you know, recruitment video. And there, you know, they show first the guy shaving his head. He's very tough. He looks very athletic, very muscular. Uh, but then you see photos posted on Twitter or whatever else of, of Russian soldiers being, you know, that surrender, that get captured. Uh, and they're they're so puny. <laughs> they're so completely different. They're almost like the cartoon characters I would compare to on the American side. Uh, so there is a, diff- a completely different story that I think uh, on the ground um, is, is, is being portrayed. However... One thing, I do think there's a war going on. I don't. I don't think that Russia. You know, this is completely fabricated, as as some Russian ambassadors are saying, and saying, "Oh no, Ukraine is shelling themselves." Um, but yeah, I mean, under under a Trump presidency, things might have been different because Trump was a little bit more honest, a little bit more. You know, no, you're not going to do this. He he held his line. He he knew how far back it was going to go. He knew what he wanted. He was a strong leader in that sense. Um, now, I mean, the Democrats are always they're, they're they're more, but you know, let's see which way the wind blows. Let's see what we can get away with. Let's see what we have to do. Let's go. Let's. You know, there, there, there's no backbone to to the progressive side of things, uh, and so it makes things a little bit difficult on the on the on the world stage uh, when mm-hmm. you have the strongest military not having a backbone, or uh, you have those who are responsible to defending those without nuclear weapons like Ukraine, um, and and you don't have a backbone because I think both the United States and Russia both signed an agreement with Ukraine to allow them to, to not have uh, nuclear weapons. But here you have now Russia going back on their agreement and even using that as a, as a, as a motivation to, to tell Ukraine, Hey, you better submit to us because you don't have any nuclear weapons and we do. So that, well, that is kind of an issue. But now Let's, let's take a minute and just bring this, this topic up here. You have what was three days ago, a conspiracy theory, and you may have been banned from YouTube, James, for bringing this up 
Three days ago, if you had mentioned that the United States was manufacturing bioweapons in Ukraine right on the border with Russia, you would have been banned from YouTube. Now, in, in this following video in congressional testimony, they sort of admit that, yeah, not only do we have bioweapon facilities in Ukraine, but we're really worried that Putin might get them. Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. Yeah, you know, this is a very studied answer. And you can tell, I mean, a lot of people are saying, um, you know, she was trying to be honest or whatever. I, 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 I'm almost certain that she was, she rehearsed this before she sat down and the question was asked to her before. So she knew what she was going to say. Uh, but, but this was the, her reaction was basically sort of uh, a realization that, uh, you know, they were getting, uh, outfoxed, you know, people were starting to talk about this, you know, largely in the open when, uh, you know, the conspiracy, uh, you know, accusation uh, was getting louder. They realized they had been put up against the wall and they needed to at least say something. And of course, the perfect answer. What is the perfect answer, guys? Perfect answer is, oh, yeah, we have this stuff and the Russians might come get it. So, you know, um, he's going to do something similar to what Assad did. We have to make sure that doesn't happen. You know, if it does happen, it's not us. It's the Russians. You know, so mm -hmm. this is basically what that's uh, playing up to. And, uh, you know, um. Of course, it can go. The story can go either way, but uh, why why hold back from that information? Uh, if you know, if if this were if this was the case uh, a few weeks ago, they could have just admitted it right right out. But uh, yeah. they play this back and forth game, and then eventually, oops, letting it slip out. And of course, uh, <laughs> right, yeah, and, and of course, and, uh, no, and, you, and you can't yeah. you can't not interpret this data in light of the fact, Catholic comedy, uh, that. George Soros and Bill Gates are already talking about the next pandemic. They're already saying that there's going to be another one. There's a new virus. There's a new variant. Some people think it's smallpox. Okay, so they're already telling you. They're, they're like forecasting what's coming our way. And now here we are, and we have these, these, these biological laboratories in the Ukraine that are funded by the United States, just like the one in, in Wuhan. You can say that on YouTube now. Uh, lab leak uh, used to get you banned, but now you can say lab leak. Um, is this just is this just all pre-written? I I don't think so. Um, I think that I don't think that it, that it's pre-written uh, thing. I think I just I'm not I'm not as convinced that all this that the stuff is pre-written. I think that there are people who are going to make predictions for things they think will happen based upon the likeliest scenarios. Like if they think if they know that there are all these labs all over the world who are doing things and they know that there's going to be a leak another leak at some point in time. But I don't think that they're planning some sort of, you know, like conspiratorial release of it to bring about to bring out. I just I I I don't personally I don't aspire to it. I don't but I just also haven't spent a lot of time researching it. So I'm the wrong person to ask this question to generally. Um, but yeah, I just, 
I don't think of it. Well, that did way. you? Did anyone notice? Did anyone notice Rubio's reaction when she said it? He he seemed kind of stunned. He was expecting no, no, no. There's nothing like that out there. Uh, from from the the way of it, and then he managed. It, it's almost like she went off script to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, she had time to prepare and everything, but when he asked the question, I think it was. Uh, it was meant to get a no answer, though the way yeah. he asks it, he's expecting a no answer, and then he gets yeah. a yes, and he pivots really quickly. And, and of course, Putin might use these things. And I, I don't know if these things are all pre scripted and pre written, but you have Bill Gates out there talking about the next pandemic, and they've been talking, but he's been you know putting that out there for a while because it probably is inevitable they're going to create one or put one in there or some small thing will be blown into a big thing or whatever it happens to be. Or maybe they will release something that will really kill people to get everybody into line to do uh, what they're told. I have no idea you know, what the future holds on that one. But they certainly have seeded the narrative to put that out there and, of course, blame Putin for it all when it, when it happens. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's whatever. Uh, whatever happens, we know is going to be Putin's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of speaking of Putin, and and we're still on the subject of Ukraine, and we're not going to spend all night with it. But I thought that this Zelensky interview was particularly interesting because uh, for those who only get their news from the rundown, uh, you know, like like the wives whose husbands let them let them on the internet like one hour a week so they can watch the rundown or whatever. You should That's probably know. Yeah, I mean, you should probably know that, you know, supposedly Putin is trying to seek peace and he's offered terms to Zelensky. Here's Zelensky reacting to what those terms are. Mr. President, I wanted to get your reaction to what the Kremlin announced just a short time ago. They called these conditions to end this war. They said you must change your constitution to give up your wishes uh, to join NATO, that you uh, should recognize Crimea as part of Russia, and that you recognize the independence of those two Russian separatist regions in the east. Are you willing to go along with all three of those conditions? What is your message to Vladimir Putin right now? First, I'm ready for a dialogue. Uh, We're not ready for the uh, uh, capitulation because it's not me. This is about the people who um, elected me. Regarding NATO, I have... I have cooled down regarding this question a long time ago. Uh, After we understood that Russia is not, that NATO is not prepared to accept Ukraine, the alliance is uh, afraid of controversial things and uh, confrontation with Russia. I never wanted to be a country which is begging something on its knees. And we are not going to, to be that country, and I don't want to be that president. Uh, okay. I, I don't exactly know how to interpret his answer other than to say that we do know things about him, James, and then uh, we'll go all the way around with James and Ryan. Uh, we know that Zelensky is an, an ethnic Jew. He is an actor. Uh, you, could, you might call him a crisis actor. At one point, he was a comedian. He played the role of the president of Ukraine in a fictional uh, setting. And also, we, we know that the United States in 2014 um, wiped out the Ukrainian government and, and installed a pro-U.S. government of which Zelensky is a member. So uh, knowing all that about him and then watching 
his reaction. What are your thoughts? Well, my initial thoughts when I heard him comment about uh, that uh, peace treaty, treaty that uh, uh, Putin was trying to get uh, him to sign. I mean, well, at first thought, the the actual uh, dictates of that uh, agreement sort of paint uh, Putin as a real guy, you know. So I'm surprised they would even present that as his, uh, you know, uh, agreement. Uh, but, but I mean, anyway, that's that's either here or there. But the way Zelensky reacted to it, it kind of put put back into my uh, purview that he is not willing to bring about peace. So he's stoking the fire, it seems. Uh, the, I mean, the, there's an easy way to deal with this, and it's just to sort of uh, sit down and really uh, map out what uh, the, you know, the, the, those two Eastern regions he talks about, they've been they've been fighting in, in that region for a long time. So they, mm-hmm. there have been deaths in that region for a while. And so, yeah, it makes sense that the person who who uh, who is supposedly allied to, to that uh, to those regions, you know, uh, on the east is concerned about the people who are dying there. If that makes I mean, so he didn't address that that question. You know, what about those two regions? So he doesn't talk about that. Um, and instead, he's talking about you know not being let into NATO, uh, which is something that would aggravate uh, uh, Russia because Russia would then have all these weapons from NATO in in, your, in, in Ukraine trained. On Russia, and yeah. so that 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 is an uh, <laughs> that's something that would escalate tensions very <laughs> no. quickly. I mean, yeah. we 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 would certainly object to Russians putting nukes in, say, Cuba. I don't know, just as a hypothetical. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, Ryan, uh, Ryan, although although I think Zelensky is just a crisis actor, and maybe you disagree with that, at least he's a better actor than this guy. How do we get to the place where? You know, Putin decides he's going to just invade Russia. Nothing like this has happened since World War II. <laughs> Sorry, I had to yeah, play. I know it. it. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we didn't. I guess I didn't hear it. That's going to be a. Cl- <laughs> it's going to be a classic clip. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah, he plays it pretty convincingly. I, I'm not convinced he's all that that he's appears to be or is supposed to be. Um, so, and I, I just I just think back to that phone call that was leaked to Victoria Newland, basically deciding who will and will not be in the Ukrainian government. And the BBC even has a transcript of it. So if you, you say, oh yeah, we got to have a got to follow a mainstream news network. Well, the, I mean the BBC's got it uh, from 2014. When did that happen? 2015. Um, where she's talking about, yeah, we want these people in uh, Ukraine and these people out of Ukraine, and we only these people governing. So I would not be surprised at all to discover that Zelensky was just a crisis actor taking his cues, being promised there, these things are going to happen. Don't worry, you'll be fine, and you, we want you to do this. And you know, because I'm convinced that most of this conflict is staged in, in, in uh, yeah. fake, and there's people behind the scenes negotiating about how it's going to play out and what they're going to get out of it. That's that's well, my opinion anyway, which could yeah, end no, up being I wrong. Mean, but. Look, and and I don't want to dwell on Ukraine. Uh, I I think that I think probably the four the four of us who are the regulars here and and maybe as well Catholic comedy are just tired of talking about Ukraine. However, comma pause for effects, brother Martin. There are some incredibly detailed threads on Twitter where you have some eyewitnesses who were who were there in the Ukraine, and they're like, "Hey, 
uh, we're not being invaded. Uh, here, look, I'm I'm walking on Kiev Avenue, and there aren't any. There's nothing going on. I mean, I don't know how you if, if that might be a deep fake. To be honest, I've not seen any single one of those threads um, about it, there not being a single invasion. Um, on the contrary, I've seen, I mean, more or less videos of of uh, Ukrainians with grenade launchers attacking tanks and all that kind of stuff. Um, but so I, I'm not, I'm not so, I mean, and that's the thing about social media too. And, that, and that's kind of the downside is that you can take videos from 2014, for instance, like this at the very beginning where Zelensky was in an, a green army t-shirt with a bulletproof vest and with a helmet on, he was going out. And, and in fact, fact checkers or whatever saying, actually, this is a photo taken in 2014. So social media, although it can, it can, it can provide, you know, people with smartphones, whatever, to give immediate access to the world. Uh, the news that's happening on the ground, it could also be very easily manipulated as well. Um, and that's kind of the downside is is because it's it's a very strong source of the actual truth because there's there's no mainstream media uh, money you know money behind the mainstream media to pr- promote a particular agenda. Um, at the same time, people can promote their own agendas and 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 use photos from the past um, or other things yeah. to, to 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 just feed that narrative. No, so, I mean, look, Catholic yeah, Well, to be clear, too, I'm not saying that nothing is happening and nobody's dying and that, that when I say it's fake, I mean that the, the alleged goals of the invasion, the response, and so many of the issues that we're being told or what it's all about are fake. Oh, yeah, uh, but it doesn't too. mean people aren't dying. And, of course, who's really going to suffer here? It's going to be the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church that's going to suffer. It's Absolutely. going to be, you know, Roman Catholics in Ukraine that are going to suffer. They're, and, and always these geopolitical events, like you saw in Iraq, it was Chaldean Catholics who suffered more than anybody, yep. right? Yep. Even more than, yeah. than Shiites or, or Sunnis, whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that's And the same thing is going to happen in Ukraine. It's going to be the Catholics that are going to suffer. It's going to be the Ukrainian Catholic uh, identity of so many of those Catholics there. They're going to suffer the most. And yeah. what ha- whatever happens in whoever the players are that are really pushing the narrative. Now, I'm skeptical Catholic comedy when Lindsey Graham and Lindsey Lohan tell me that somebody is the devil, i.e. Putin, I think, you know, alarm bells go off in my <laughs> mind. Um, I would say that, uh, as Father Ribbicarl often tells us, the, the devil was always focused, is trying to tell us to focus on anything but God. And so a lot of these distractions, if you're going to, you know, you could say that they could be demonically inspired or something like that. Or when the whole world looks at one person, says that one person is the devil, or that we need to focus in on this, this, or that. A lot of it's going to be distractions that's just going to keep us from continuing and working in our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, like, like we're now the the world is telling us that we need to focus on this particular country's conflict, right? The the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. And you could see that as genuinely that there's a conflict that needs to be taken or needs to be covered, or you could see it as the whole world wants you to focus in on something. So why and what's going on? And maybe, maybe we take a step back and say, you know what, we know that there are terrible things happening in this part of the, in this part of the world or in these other parts of the world, we still need to make sure that we have our focus on our faith and growing our faith and growing in our vocations and things of that nature, which is kind of my, like my whole response. And I put up a thing on my Twitter a while ago about that. I wasn't really going to make a whole lot of comments on the whole conflict because uh, it's, everyone wants to talk about it and everyone wants to focus on it. And I'm really trying to focus more on the joy and bringing joy to the world um, and laughter and hope 
And um, if the world's trying to get me to focus in on something that's going to bring depression and, and sadness, then I got to take a step back. And so I don't really know a lot of the answers to the things mm -hmm. that are happening politically in that in that realm of things, because I just I don't have the time or energy to 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 focus in on it because I'm trying to do something different. Yeah, so. well, you, you would have something in common with the Polish. This is their reaction to the war. Brother Martin, we could learn a thing or two from a reaction like that. Look at all those men on their knees praying the rosary uh, for peace in, uh, in that region of the world, regardless of what's happening or if it's a false flag or, or whatever it is, praying to Our Lady. Well, that and actually, uh, I think last Sunday I went to a Ruthenian Byzantine church and the pre I mean, Ruthenian is like West, Western Ukraine. And so it's right on the border between Poland and, and Ukraine, that, that region. Um, and he was mentioning how between Hungary and, and Poland, with all the, the, the at least a million uh, refugees from Ukraine into Poland and Hungary, there are zero, zero refugee camps. Well, with all of the refugees going, you know, a million refugees going to Hungary and Poland, you would think that would be at least one refugee camp. The reality is people from Hungary and Poland are literally driving to the border with signs saying I could host, uh, you know, two adults and two children, you know, and refugees that, that, that see those signs go. The Polish and the Hungarians are literally taking the Ukrainians into their own homes. So not only are they praying, I mean, spiritual works of mercy, but also corporate works of mercy as well. I mean, nobody's complete strangers. They're taking these refugees into their own homes. Um, so the fact that there's, wow. there, there are zero refugee camps, zero, it, it boggles the mind, zero. You'd think that at least be one. We, we don't even take our parents into our homes in this country. We <laughs> ship them off to an old folks home, James. Right. We don't take our family in. We don't take our friends in. We're definitely not going to take a stranger in. Like, no, I, I, mean, I mean, this is such a diametric difference. I mean, th that's yeah. true Catholic charity right there. In the United States, we're like, oh, you know, I don't. When we're old, we're like, I don't want to be a burden on my family, so I'm just gonna go live in this home where you know I watch Fox News 14 hours a day. Yeah, it's a, it's quite a shame because uh, as the Polish were saying their rosaries, you know, on their knees, I kept thinking this is a grave act of hatred against the Ukrainians. They're not sending aircrafts to bomb the Russians. They're saying rosaries. I mean, how, <laughs> what? What sort of travesty is that? No, of course that's that's the perfect reaction. You know, then that's, that's what, the heavy uh, artillery. That's the, exactly that's the heavy artillery, and that's this is what we need in this time, especially, you know, so that at least not if not clarity of mind, but peace of spirit. 
you know, that interior peace that we need in this time to think clear headedly, you know, and as brother Martin was just saying, you know, if you don't have that Catholic charity in you, you know, I don't know what else you're going to have in this time, but it's a great thing to have that Catholic spirit, that Catholic charity that says, Hey, you know, um, I can host two or three people. I can host, you know, family, you know, and, and this is exactly what we should be doing. But here, like you just pointed out, you know, people, uh, you know, reach a certain age and they, they, they decide that uh, they're going to throw their parents into nursing homes, you know, no, no charity, so to speak. So um, uh, kudos to the Polish, you know, they're leading the way. If that's, if that's the case, they're, they're really leading the way in teaching us here in the West how to react at such a time of confusion. Yeah, no so, kidding. My, my, my hat's off to them. Um, can I just, I just want to uh, go off of, of that um, thing is that, this is happening in the in the backyard of Poland, right? So what's happening? All the stuff that's happening, is ha- and so what they're doing, their response is to take care of what's happening, like locally, and um, to to do what they can to help people who need them, you know, in their own backyard. And that's another thing that we you talk about that we don't take care of our parents as Catholics in the United States, right? We don't like you. you we send them off to home, but we we don't take care of our local people generally like we give money to other people to take care of them but we don't work as hard as we really should as catholics to help to take care of the people of the things that are happening locally in our world and yeah i'm just as guilty as everybody else with it i'm not trying to be high and mighty about it but um that's something that we really need to take into consideration it's like when we when we are looking at world events right are we looking at world events and talking about world events as a way to ignore the the person on the street corner who's begging for food like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are we are we so focused on what's happening in washington that we forget what's happening uh on you know down the street at the local food kitchen like we have to really take a moment and say what can we do to help the people who are living with us you know and not yeah. always focus on I mean, it's not as fun, right? It's fun to talk about politics and to do all that type of stuff, but it's 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 more impactful. You're going to have an actual difference that you can make on your neighbor by being a good neighbor. Then you'll have any shot of making a difference of what happens in the Beltway of Washington D.C. That's yeah. just you know my two. No, uh, you know and, what? And we've lost our sense of community, James. Oh yeah, he's absolutely right. You know, and uh, what what of course the uh, politicians realize and those who are pushing for a new way of life for, for a new world order realized that we had to really sort of separate that idea or that identity of a Catholic uh, spirit, you know? So, you know, brother Martin was talking about a couple of works of mercy. When you uh, reduce Catholics to uh, just people who, who give to the state instead, the state becomes the, you know, the person who's uh, causing them to act quote unquote in charity. Right. And so they, they no longer have that Catholic spirit anymore. You know, they ceded that to the state and the state has taken uh, a possession over that, arena such that you know good catholics quote unquote well right they walk out of a church down the steps in uh on on main street and they pass you know a homeless person they say well you know we're giving money to the state so we don't have to exercise charity Mm -hmm. to you you know and this is a huge problem right so this has diametrically changed um you know the way we view what charity ought ought to be you know i mean you talk about uh catholic hospitals for instance you know back in the old days right you know uh people were giving money to catholic uh hospitals and uh, the hospitals were staffed uh, mostly by uh, uh, nuns or uh, some religious, you know, at least uh, some 
external religious, right? You know, so they they were providing the care. And then what happens is you rewrite laws and you bring in people who are making salaries, and all of a sudden, you know, there's not enough money to take care of uh, the the true needs of those people who are impoverished. Mm-hmm. And so th- this is just a it's a huge cultural problem uh, that's uh, causing us to lose our our identity, not just as Americans, but you know, also more importantly, as Catholics. And and I just want to just last last bit on this is. Um... We're damning ourselves, uh, to be quite frank, in that we, you have an opportunity to do corporal and spiritual acts of mercy, right, on a daily basis in your hometown. Um, and, you know, sometimes you could say, like, you can do that on Facebook and Twitter or, you know, uh, whatever things that you want to do to be able to give back to, the, to a community, to any kind of community. But when you are giving corporal acts of mercy um, to the uh to to the state what you're doing is you're taking away your chance of getting sanctifying grace from those acts of mercy because that's that's really like if you're going to talk about on a selfish perspective right from a selfish perspective if you would just on that on that remark like when you do charity you're getting graces god god just pours graces on you because you're doing good work and if you tell if you're just saying okay you know what the state's going to do the good work for me what you're saying is uh, you don't want those graces from God. You don't want to become a better person. You're just happy that somebody else is handling it. So you don't have to see someone that's a, that's, that's causing a problem. So um, that's just, you know, kind of that, that the last little bit there is that if we don't take back our, our ability to do charity and find ways to make differences in our local communities, uh, we're, we're, we're we're damning ourselves, Ryan. I think I think a lot. Yeah, there's so many things with the. I was just gonna say, Ryan. I was, I was gonna add in with corporal works of mercy. Yeah, the corporal works of mercy. The there's so many of them uh, that we've completely forgotten, and there's some that aren't really relevant in modern society, like burying the dead. Um, the, the state won't let you do that. If you do, you <laughs> find somebody you know that's plague victim or whatever. That's all kind of taken care of but you got so many other ones and you know helping a poor person you find where a lot of people are like oh yeah well, i don't want to give them money they'll just spend it on drugs or something like that and there's been a bunch of times where i'm just like i'm just to say a prayer you know lord put it on this person's heart to put to use this money for food or to get himself in a, in a rehab or something like that if in fact he has a drug problem which some people do that's that's life in the streets it's problematic uh, or alcohol or whatever and i get it um and there was one time that i went to a liquor store and it was closed i was like well, why is it closed oh well and there there were some people out there one guy asked me for money and he says and i promise you sir if you give me some money i am not going to spend it on food or drink or any of that or clothes i'm going to spend it on hookers and blow i swear <laughs> you know just just make it a stupid joke and i just like i like your character here's my card too if you need something let me know and, and i and i was actually able to help him a little bit connect him with people that had the means because i don't have a lot of means for something like that but you know to kind of get the guy back on his feet uh there's other things prison ministry how many people do prison ministry prisons are one of those things everyone kind of forgets about oh yeah those criminals we don't want to ever look at them people watch too many cop shows and us versus them type of mentality yeah these people are irredeemable because they got caught with like an ounce of some plant and the state decided to throw them in for two to four um or what have you type of things and it's like no i'm sorry they're has anyone done prison ministry have you ever sat there with a guy who's crying as he got out of you know he made a mistake when he was a kid 18 or something 19 is getting his life back in order and because he was on probation he had a summons in the court mind you 
sent it to the wrong address. So he had no idea and uh, went to renew his driver's license and he, things flags because he's got a warrant because he never showed up for a summons for his probation hearing and he didn't know about because they sent it to the wrong address. And so the sheriff's come and arrest him and there, there he is back in prison now, probation revoked and his life, he's, now he's lost his job. Now he's lost everything again. Um, and it's like, have you ever sat down and given these people, you know, 30 minutes of your time? Uh, obviously that's not for everybody, but some people, there's a lot of people could do that. It don't. Um, and then when, and when people get out of the prison system and they try to reenter the community, oh no, we can never talk to them. Hey, he's a con. Oh my goodness. There's a convict in our church. This is horrible. I'm sorry. What kind of society are we creating? Um, yeah, and what yeah. about forgiveness? What about redemption? What about mercy? What about trying? And if we had communities that said, Hey, here's someone we can help. Let's say, obviously you're going to be nervous. Some guy went in for armed robbery, letting him work and you know, a man in the cash till. Um, but you know, there's gotta be room for redemption and finding a place for people. Cause what's going to make them go back to prison. They have no place. They, if they, even if they're minded to get out of bad stuff, they can't. You know, yeah, and that, no, that's a hard I, I think I think everyone should wear a scarlet letter for the rest of their lives. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I want to put out a call to everyone who is listening right now, because we have what, probably three, four people viewers right now. Uh, no, I have no idea. Anyway, uh, we, there's there's a lot of people who are listening and a lot of people who have jobs and a lot of people who have opportunities. And a lot of us like really have to take a moment to say there, but for the grace of God, go I whenever we see somebody who has gone. um who has gone through one of these situations. Like, the, like sometimes the reason why someone's not in prison is because they didn't get caught. Right. And we go through, we have, we've done things in our life and we've, 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 hey, this, is, this is honestly, that that's a great point. I, mm -hmm. half of your friends have driven drunk. Half yeah. of your friends have committed crimes. Yeah. There are so many crimes on the books that uh, it is estimated that every single American is a felon. Right. Because we don't know all the crimes that are, that were, that are committed. We don't. We, we're un, unknowingly committing felonies uh, every yeah. day. So the fact of the matter is that you haven't been caught. It doesn't make you a better person. All right, keep going. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so, so what I'm doing at my official job is we are. Um, I convinced my boss that we're going to give away some training for people to be able to do the job that I do to prisons specifically. Um, and this was a contingency of me staying with the company. Like I, I had an offer from another company, but I was like, if you let me do this, I'll stay. Um, and that's what we're, we're working towards is this idea that someone, um, that somebody makes a mistake, they're in prison, right? And they're going to come out of prison. And the only thing they can do is minimum wage work or back into like some sort of illicit thing right so we're what we're going to do what we're hoping to do is to set up uh like a course that you could go through to get someone to make 60 grand a year starting right and that is a life-changing position for someone who otherwise is like working on the docks right or trying to you know and it's like a work from home thing so they could, you know, they could like if they're on probation, they don't have to worry about having to like having to explain that they can't go to or to, a, you know, to some place or another because they're on probation like that type of thing. So everyone out there. Right. Everyone out there who has a job has an opportunity to be able to take some or take 
some of their training, some of their, their knowledge and skills and give that to someone who's in prison right now or who is getting out of prison. Go to halfway houses. See if you can work something with your employer to do so. Because this is a charity of a charitable thing that most companies want to get into. You're talking about that GS, whatever crap stuff that they were doing on the social credit. Like you can get people on board with doing something like this in a secular or a secular way, right? And still be helping the world and helping people who need it. And uh, like I was able to say, hey, you let me do this thing or I walk. And my boss said, okay, we'll do it there's people out there you'll be able to tell your bosses you know what i want to do something i want our organization to to give training on how to do the jobs that we do to people in prison so that they can get out and do good work and they're not forced back into it especially like think about like women who become prostitutes right and then they get they go to prison for prostitution they get out they can't get any jobs because they went to prison for prostitution what are they going to do they're going to go back to prostitution because they've got no choice. And then they get put into prison again. And so they're, they're stuck in this endless cycle. So we really have to do a lot of work. You just need to learn to code and buy. <laughs> well, okay? the funny, the funny thing is, right. that's what I'm going to be teaching people is kind of how to code. Uh, but in a, in a very specific way to be able to make the kind of money that I make, which I do all right. I want, to, uh, so. I want to add one thing to the conversation. I want to kick it over to Brother Martin in terms of the loss of the sense of community in these United States. It is true that in these United States, we used to have a sense of community. Oftentimes, people in these United States associated more strongly with their state or even their county than with uh, the idea of being an American. And being an American sort of uh, is an outgrowth of post-Reconstruction, uh, post-Lincoln, post-Grant era. But prior to that, we did have a sense of community. And even up until like the 1930s and 40s and 50s, we had a sense of community. I contend, Brother Martin, I want you to tell me if I'm crazy because I know you will. Well, you're, you're, you're always crazy. But anyway, go, go with your question. Okay, fine. Fair, <laughs> fair point. Fair point. But I, I actually one of the one of the big enemies of community, in my opinion, are real estate developers. I think real estate developers are the scum of the universe. I think they're uh. the scum. They're the absolute. They speculate on land, and uh, especially the types of real estate developers that do residential real estate. Yeah, everyone in North Idaho agrees. By the way. Yeah, we we don't have front porches anymore. Right. We don't have we don't sit out front and meet our neighbors. We drive our cars into our garages, which I don't have a garage anymore, Christine. In case you're watching, um, I uh, we but but a um, typical American drive your car into your garage, shut the door behind you, and you are isolated in your Netflix and chill curated environment where you're just self medicating with whatever. Uh, media you're going to consume. We no longer know our neighbors' names. We don't have any interaction with each other. And I think that the architecture and the development of the land and the real estate plays a big role in that. Is that insane, Brother Martin? No, it's absolutely true. Um, I mean, going through this crisis of, of, of Father Ellie Gas, I mean, I was having a conversation with a friend looking out in the small town that I live in. And I was like, hey, you know, this town was built in the 1800s. And in the 1800s, they didn't depend on Russia for oil. You know, they, they, didn't, they didn't have cars in the 1800s. They made things work. They, they didn't depend on globalism. 
they had the wheat and the corn and all of their vegetables and all of their their meats they were all grown locally and so looking out you know from my deck onto the our small town we were just like you know it's totally possible except we all again have our creature comforts um we all depend on our immediate gratification uh, I want something now. I think of it now. Oh, hold, let me go to my Amazon app and order right now so I can get it tomorrow. Uh, the sense of immediate gratification that we've, we've developed. And, and in terms of community, I mean, there were problems in the, in the 18th century in the sense that we talk about the, the Reconstruction period uh, right after the Civil War. Um, as Catholics, there was a problem only because, in, especially in, in the South, um, I mean, of course, there were the WASPs, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants that very much, I mean, the KKK not, not only persecu- persecuted African-Americans, but persecuted Catholics as well. Um, so there was there was a conflict in community in that sense. But otherwise, um, it was think local, act local. It was you, you got your crops, you got your, your your necessities local, but also you didn't expect anything anything above and beyond which, what, what uh, the local community could, could provide for you. Mm-hmm. So like... And I struggle with, I'll give you guys a secret in the sense that I struggle with this in particular in the sense that locally, we don't have a Walmart. I live in a small, we don't, there's no, there's no Walmart. It's that small of a town. There's a dollar general, but there's no Walmart. And so whenever I think I need something and I think, oh, I need to go all the way down, you know, to the big city to get, to get, to get to Walmart to actually get something. I said, you know, do I actually need that then? If I have to go to Walmart, do I need it? Mm-hmm. Or, or do I need, or, or can I find something similar at a local store or can I just do without? Yeah. Um, it's a completely different way of thinking. It is. Uh, it is. And think local, act local. And this is something, this, this architectural thing, Ryan, that I noticed, um, you know, I, I have the privilege of traveling around the country quite a bit and spending extended periods of time in, in, in all, you know, cities around the country. And when I, when you go to historic towns like Buffalo, New York, you know, or Charleston, South Carolina, uh, you see homes that are right next to each other, big front porches, communities, communities. Uh, when you go out west to places like Arizona that are just master plan developments, you sort of see what I'm talking about where, you know, it's all just kind of, you know, it's, it's literally, I would call it a Masonic design. It is designed to destroy community life. You're on mute. We've lost your audio. Oh, there we go. Sorry. Uh, unclicked it and then reclicked it. Um, so in, in places like Idaho, uh, there, there's a lot of places that are, are younger than the rest of the country, and they've been planned since World War II. But uh, so where I live, I, I don't actually live in Post Falls, but it's where I work. And Post Falls, you can see that divide with the interstate, where what used to be the community, you'd see a lot of the, the older houses from the early 1900s, 1920s, that are in kind of that strip where my office is and whatnot, and right around where the SSPX church is, there's an historic Presbyterian church, which is now a theater. Um, and there used to be homes all around there. Well, the interstate, they, they took all those homes and demolished them, put the interstate right through where all the, the historic churches in this town were. Right. And so and, and, and you see that all around the country at Baltimore is another place where I saw that, where the interstate cut through these historic communities. And then there was a rush, go to the suburbs. And all the development was pushing people to go to these newly constructed tract housings in the in the 50s and 60s. And so these ethnic communities of Czech, 
Italian, German, Catholics in, in a place like Baltimore, they all exited out of those areas and went to the suburbs. And so you have these historic parishes that used to be Slovak. You still see the Slovak language up in different uh, inscriptions and stained glass. And you see it again in uh, German and Italian places. I saw it in Pittsburgh, uh, things like that. And they cut up and divide the communities. But then there's another thing. So Walmart, we were, brother was mentioning Walmart. Walmart's a more pernicious thing. And here's why. And just for full disclosure, I used to be an assistant manager at a Walmart. So um, so this is the way that it works, is that, you know, you got a town. Let's say $10 million are made in this town collectively between all the small businesses that are there, bike shops, hardware shops. I'm not talking about Ace Hardware. I'm talking about mom and pop, you know, hardware mm-hmm. shops whatever mm-hmm. let's say the combined income of all these small stores grocery and 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 all the other things that people have is 10 million dollars now walmart comes in and it brings that and people are like oh yeah walmart is going to be cheaper they have this little magic of low prices you actually compare you're not saving that much money and the things break you're actually spending more money over time usually so <laughs> you've got that element but then the second thing is then those shops start to close down that $10 million is still being made, but now it's, you know, the, the lion's share of it is going out to the corporate shareholders and only a pittance remains in the way of wages and things like that. And then Walmart says, oh, we're going to donate money back to the community and they'll give some, you know, two or $300,000 check to some homeless shelter or something, or, you know, whatever, and say, look, I'm helping. Um, and, and that's how, you know, Walmart plays its role, destroying communities. And they're not the only one. They're, they're just one of uh, several examples of that. So between the financial side, the government planning side, and, and of course, the way they design our, our, our communities around cars, not around humans, around cars. So, yeah, like you said, you drive around, you never meet your neighbors. A lot of times your neighbors are a problem. You don't want to meet your neighbors because they're, they're calling the cops because your dog barked or they're calling the cops because your kids are playing during school hours. No, we homeschool. Oh, well, we don't like that. And now they, they don't want anything to do with you because your kids are outside playing during school hours and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. We need yeah. to, what we need to do again, uh, they, they try to do this. So we're going to do this in Texas, but apparently the organizers of it had an illustrious, like a fair of some kind and it caused the whole thing to collapse. But somebody needs to just go out and buy a, like an old farming town. That's been, that's been, you know, uh, decommissioned or whatever, and just say, okay, you know what? We're not, we're going to put it in our town charter that we're not going to have any company that employs more than, you know, 10,000 people here in, in town. So get people to, to show up and to, um, to, to have that small town feel again, to build that small town feel. I mean, it's difficult yeah. because people are gonna be like, you know what? I actually really like going shopping at Walmart. Okay. Well, that's going to be in the town over and you're more than welcome to do it, but have mom and pop shops there build that community, have a church at the center of town, not, not in random places, you know, like to build a community up like that. Like it wouldn't take much. It would take a couple of like, you know, maybe five well-off Catholics, one Taylor Marshall, you know, to be able to just buy a town like that and say, <laughs> we'll make it work. Um, I, uh, I I will be doing a stream next week on the the Catholic land movement. Uh, Father Vincent McNabb writes about it, um, and and there are others as well. Bellick picked up on it, um, and I think this is something that we're all witnessing, and all of us sort of at, in the traditional movement sort of have a uh, have an aspiration 
to do, but we do have to continue the show and we have to get through a little bit more of our international politics. I know, I know, James, rubbing your hands together. Um, I found this old Soros clip and I couldn't, I, 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 uh, what you want to be full screen, Ryan, so you can show it. No, 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 well, I'm trying to get it so it'll focus correctly. This camera doesn't like, uh, anyway. So, I'm smoking a Mambaco uh, Diplomatico, which pairs very nicely with rum. And I have a Kirk and Sweeney Reserve of Rum, which goes very nice, although it does go best with Diplomatico rum. Anyway, okay, just well, tell, tell, Back tell to them your... to send us some and we'll smoke some. Tell them I know. Yeah, there we go. I will smoke Mambaco <laughs> on this show. All you have to do is send me a box. and I'll I will talk it. to Jared. I'll make it happen. <laughs> all right. All right. Good. I, I think I even have a discount code. I just never plug it because I haven't smoked it. And I'm not the kind of guy who's going to recommend yeah, you. They, they sell them here at the lounge. And so I'm trying to support it in, in, through the local brick and mortar. So I don't actually buy from them online right now um, ah. just because I'm trying to keep it going here. Even though it costs a little more because of Idaho taxes. But yeah, well, it's it's worth it. As long um, as my benefactors know I'm getting them a baco for free, then it's it's fine. I'll smoke them all over. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can send me the box and I'll I'll I'll, I'll hand you some. Yes. Uh, but, but we might have to report that to you know people who might be keeping close tabs on you. I'm not sure who those people might be. Um, okay, <laughs> so uh, George Soros, he came up earlier in the stream. I found this video of him. It's it's an older video. It's when I think he accidentally said the quiet part out loud. I think that this video is more relevant today with regards to Russia and Ukraine than it ever was before. Here it is. When the Soviet Union, uh, the Soviet Empire collapsed, and as the empire uh, uh, collapsed, uh, uh, I moved in and picked up the pieces. Uh, first in Hungary in 1984, uh, and then Poland in 87, China in 87 as well. Uh, and uh, so this is how the, this, uh, what I'm, the Soros Empire uh, <laughs> replacing the Soviet Empire. <laughs> the Soros Empire is replacing the Soviet Empire, Ryan. The Soros Empire is picking up the pieces. The Soros Empire is replacing the Soviet Empire. This is the guy that said that uh, he had no remorse for helping the Nazis pick up his fellow uh you know jews because hey it uh someone else would have done it if i didn't do it so i might as well get it get it on the grift um this guy has no allegiance to anything except whatever goals he's established uh which are the same malthusian zero population whatever goals that the un and all these ngos that he helps fund by the way um and, and this is the problem with with the perniciousness of wealth in society um it, any any functioning society it, its job is not to prevent wealth from being created. And its job is not to prevent people from being rich. Its job is to prevent people who are rich from using that wealth to influence society toward their their own goals. And there, now there's a movie everybody watches at Christmas, It's a Wonderful Life. And it plays mm -hmm. that very thing out uh, in, in an incredible way. And, and, and what I like is it, it, it does it without government programs, without uh, all these things to try because what happens to government programs you get regulatory capture oh well these rich people are trying to control the state so we got to control the rich people but so we're going to write these laws and the rich people say well hey i'll donate to your campaign and I'll, or my ngo or my lobbyists will donate to your campaign if 
you let us write the bill or have a say in this bill. And that's exactly what happens. And then the bills come out and they benefit the same very wealthy interests that they're supposed to be restricting. So that's often not really the solution. What happens in It's a Wonderful Life? One guy who doesn't want anything to do with it, I might add, George Bailey, he wants nothing to do with running a, a building and loan. He wants to go to Europe. He wants to live the happy life with his wife like everybody else. But he's... The challenge is thrown down. He knows that Potter will use his money, being the head of the banks in the area, to completely ruin the town. And so he's like, no, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to stand for the little guy, even though he doesn't actually want to do that at all. But he knows it needs to be done. And so he makes the sacrifices that he makes as this rather reluctant hero, like a lot of the heroes in Frank Capra movies. Mm -hmm. And he stands up against uh, Potter. And you see the effect when, uh, you know, at the end, towards the towards the final act of the movie where he's ready to throw his life away. And because, you know, his, his uncle lost his money. Now he's going to go to jail and whatnot. And so he's like, oh, crap, what am I going to do? And he's like, he's going to kill himself. And then the angel stops him and says, hey, I'll, I'll Clarence, you know, I'll, I'll change it so you were never born. And you could see what, how important your life is. And he does. And <laughs> right. what happens when he comes back in, into Bedford Falls, the Bedford Falls that he was an instrumental part of creating by getting people the capital they needed to have businesses, to form communities, to do the things they did well. Uh, now it's a slum. The whole thing is, is a big city slum because Potter used that wealth and influence to benefit him and his ideals and not the community, right? And so in this case, it was just, just other people acting oftentimes are the ones who can prevent something like that from going on. But most of us, we don't want to do that. We're asleep at the wheel or maybe we're awake and we don't have enough money and power and we're just trying to get by with our jobs and feed our families. And then these clutches get into government. And, no, and, and, and you look at it, you look what's happening in with, with this uh, current war and you, you see the influence of George Soros and George Soros is a member of the Hebrew tribe and uh, what what is happening is Israel is now taking a a front seat position in negotiating the peace, and it is now being reported uh, that the Prime Minister of Israel has called Zelensky, who is also a member of the tribe, and told him that he needs to just surrender to Putin. Um, at what point now, Doctor Ron Paul, not the world's most perfect politician by any stretch, but he questions what. Why is Israel running the world? Why does Israel need our help? We need to get out of their way. I mean, we interfere with them. We, we interfere with them when they deal with their borders, when they want to have peace treaties. We tell them what they can do because we buy their allegiance and they sacrifice their sovereignty to us. And then they decide they want to bomb something. That's their business, but they should, you know, suffer the consequences. When they bombed the uh, Iraqi missile site, a uh, nuclear site back in the 80s, I was one of the few in Congress that said it's none of our business and Israel should take care of themselves. Israel has 200, 300 nuclear missiles and they can take care of themselves. Why should we commit? We don't even have a treaty with Israel. Why, why do we have this automatic commitment that we're going to send our kids and send our money endlessly uh, to, to Israel? So I think they're quite capable of taking themselves, taking care of themselves. I think we do detriment. Just think of all the money we gave to Egypt over 30 or 40 years. Now look, the, the, we were buying friendship. Now there's a civil war. They're less friendly to Israel. That whole thing is going to backfire once we go bankrupt and we remove our troops. So I think we should be very cautious in our willingness to go to war and send troops 
without a proper declaration by the U.S. Congress. Let me let Herman. Uh, those uh, those thoughts and musings, James, they they age pretty well. Um, I I have to say, you did. Yeah, uh, Dr. Ron Paul has been one of the foremost uh, voices against uh, ridiculous spending, and as you heard, there is against uh, willy nilly just giving uh, carte blanche support to anybody. Uh, especially those people who don't need our help. You know, he was one of the few voices who were questioning why Congress kept giving billions, billions of aid to Israel when Israel doesn't really need it. You know, and so, um, you know, for, for those of us who've been listening to, to this and asking questions over the years, uh, you know, none of the answers have been given to us, uh, at least not, no answers that make sense from uh, the, uh, the elite. You know, they, they, they haven't given us any answers that make sense. And we are sort of left with, with the bag wondering you know uh if we're taking crazy pills or not so this mm-hmm. yeah absolutely why why we we have this policy when it's not really a policy at all you know it's it's all back back room dealings uh that we present as something that we have to do it's absolutely uh unbelievable i have to say i have to say uh i wish ron paul were still in congress per- perhaps the only perhaps the only politician who's in the game right now that i sort of like even though I know he's, uh, I know he's, he's, I don't know. I don't know if it's real or he was, not. Well, but... well, well, you know, I mean, he, he was, he, he was honest enough. He was, a, I would consider him an, an honest politician, whether or not I agreed with everything he, uh, he said, you know, he was at least honest enough and he went out there and people tried to, uh, you know, uh, paint him as a kooky person and, uh, you know, a, a uh, someone who, who wanted us to be separate from the rest of the world, you know, who didn't want to intervene in, uh, you know, uh, geopolitics per se, you know, and it's like, yeah. I, I would see him as a sort of a silent cow, uh, you know, a, a politician, you know, Calvin Coolidge by no stretch of his imagination. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't a bad guy, you know, uh, he just, he thought uh, things should let, should, should play out, you know, let people do what they're going to, uh, you know, going to do to a certain degree. You know, we don't have to sit yeah. out there and always, uh, you know, make, uh, you know, uh, uh, alliances that we don't have to make. What do we what do we think of uh, DeSantis? You do not have to wear those masks. I mean, please take them off. <laughs> Honestly, it's not doing anything, and we got to stop with this COVID theater. So if you want to wear it, fine. But this is a, this is ridiculous. All right. Well, it's good to be at USF. <laughs> I mean, I. If if he's acting, he's a good actor. I appreciate that he does this type of stuff, Ryan. I I don't know if it's real. I hope it's real. I you know again, uh, he's a Navy SEAL. Uh, he seems to be pretty pretty based. He's definitely woke to the COVID scam. I I mean I don't know. I hope so. I don't know enough about him one way or the other. He's definitely setting himself up for a good presidential run. Um, I. You know, I don't live in Florida, so I, I couldn't say, you know, it, it's one of those things that, you know, it looks good on the surface, but that's what always raises the red flag for me is when on the surface it looks really good, oftentimes it really isn't. And so or there's some other hidden thing that's going to come out that will, uh, you know, actually be really bad. So I don't know. The things he's doing, like in that clip, I love that clip. It's great. 
Um, I, I hope there's a lot more of that to come. But uh, again, it's I don't trust anything that happens. But even if he is like, you know, veritable angel come down from heaven, that that absolutely means to save the system. The deep state is so entrenched. One guy running for president is not going to fix it. It has to be everybody waking up and it has to be becoming ungovernable to the current system until it collapses. I mean, it, and this is one of those things. If everybody refused to pay taxes, the system would collapse. They, they couldn't put everybody in jail. But nobody wants to be the first guy to do it because he's the one that's going to get nabbed and thrown into jail. Uh-huh. And so here we keep on going, you know, forward. It has to be a, a national awakening. Like, hey, we don't want to be slaves in a land in our own land, and we have to do something. And it, it, one guy is not going to save you, uh, even if he's really based and says all kinds of like great things. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and I agree with you. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to trust any uh, current politician, um, especially uh, you know. Give, but but this is the alternative here. The three congressmen you have here. Two of them look like they could, they really could and did play ball, and the other one looks like he could bomb you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> what is that? I couldn't. <laughs> I, I just, I couldn't keep a straight face with that. I mean, it's, it's just a horrible thing to say. Like, no matter what, <laughs> what you want to think of anything, let's just, like, saying something like that. Two of them look like they could play ball, and one of them looked like they could try to kill. What on earth? Like, I'm sorry. That's just that goes beyond any like, the, and the fact that nobody calls him out on stuff like that, other than small time podcasts like us, are you know just weird. But just how how does that happen? How does the three congressmen you have here? Two of them look like they could, they really could and did play ball, and the other one looks like he could bomb you. Like James. That- <laughs> if uh, any conservative said that, there, there would be racism. <laughs> that would be like congressional investigations. But it's Biden, so it's okay because he's the anointed at the moment. What the heck? You know, yeah, I mean, he's, he's. Do you guys so remember? Creepy. Yeah, do you guys remember that statement he gave when uh, Obama first came out? Uh, and I, of course, I'm going to say something. Wait, Obama came off out? here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> this is like 2000. <laughs> nice one, brother. Yeah, uh, when Obama was first running as as the president, you know, he met with Biden, I suppose. Biden was also running at the time with Nancy Pelosi and the others. And basically, uh, what did he say? Well, you know, uh, he's a great guy. He sounds uh, well-educated, you know, and, uh, you know, he's something like that, very condescending. And I was like, yeah, very articulate, you know, clean clean and and articulate. And I'm like, where did you come up with that, you know? And then uh, nobody batted an eye, right? You know, uh, it, it was very, very interesting how they let some politicians get away with things and then they let others sort of uh, implode in themselves, you know? Uh, it's it's really it's really fascinating. And, of course, you know, it uh, him, Biden. Was it Biden yeah. or was it um, was it Bill Clinton who said that, that Obama was a clean black person? Uh, was Biden. Biden. I, no, I, Biden. I, I, I think it was Biden, Biden yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was it was Biden. Yeah, um, you're talking yeah, about a guy who, even when head. he was young, he had no presence of who he was or where he was. He would get out things like there's a C, uh, 60 Minutes video or CBS segment about how Biden was in front of donors, going on about how he finished top of his class at Princeton, and then they said, but uh, Mr. <laughs> Biden never went to Princeton and he finished at the bottom of his class. And even back then, and there was never an apology, and there was never anything uh, to follow up on it. And he stayed as a U.S. senator. Wasn't he? Right. Years, and, no didn't, yeah. well, didn't, 
wasn't Biden a plagiarist too, or did, did I imagine that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Big, big time. I, oh, absolutely. Man. And never, never. I think one time he did try to. He did say he did offer an apology one time. Uh, but uh, but still, you know, he's a very bombastic speaker and makes no qualms about it. He just sort of says whatever he's thinking. Speaking of which, I have a video, and I am going to put it up, and it is going to work this time. Uh, Hold on one second while I cue this up. Um, I'll have to pull up my earbuds for this. Okay. (laughs) Here we go. If you haven't seen this, this is amazingly funny. I learned, I learned a lot. I learned that uh, it makes a difference. This was the Dr. Ward area, and I was one of the guards, and they went out it was a three-meter board, and you fell off sideways, you landed on the damn side, the dark cement over there. <laughs> and he ran a bunch of bad boards. And I did, back in those days, the shot things had changed. One of the things you had to do is if you used pomade in your hair, you had to wear a baby cap. <laughs> he said, hey, Esther, you, off the board. I'll come up and drag you off. Well, he came off, and he said, I'll meet you outside. My car, this was mostly, this all public housing behind it. My car, there was a gate on it. I parked my car outside the gate. And I, he said, I'll be waiting for you. He's waiting for three guys in straight faces. Not a joke. There was a guy named Bill White, Mouse, the only white guy, and he did all the things. He was the mechanic. <laughs> Down here in the basement, where mechanics were all cool. You know, the chain, you should chain went across the deep end. And he cut off the six foot metal chain. He told him, he said, You walk out with that chain. And you walk in the car and you may fuck me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. I said, you kidding me. He said, no, if you don't, don't come back. And he was right. <laughs> and I walked up to my car. And they said, those days, you used to remember the straight race. You'd bang them on the curb, get them rusty, put them in the rain barrel, get them rusty. And I looked at him. Well, I was smart then. I said, first of all, I said, when I tell you get off the board, you get off the board, I'll kick you on again, but I shouldn't have called you. Esther would have not apologized for that. I apologize, but I didn't have that apology. It's going to work. He said, you apologize to me? I said, I apologize for that. Not for throwing you out, but I apologize for what I said. He said, okay, close the straight razor. My heart begin to beat again. <laughs> I came down here because I... Remember the first bumper sticker I saw. <laughs> I, so I, I just half expect him to say, I wore an onion on my belt, which was a style at the time. And so we had to go to Shelbyville back in the day, which was called Morganville. And <laughs> you had to pay, pay a nickel, which had pictures of bees on them. You'd say, give me five bees for a quarter is what you'd say. Like, it just seems like such an Abe Simpson ramble uh that just i feel i feel like i feel like like right right? yeah Yeah. i couldn't write anything funnier than that speech our audience deserves to hear something clear and true and um well i logical grounded the last bastion of absolute and unchanging truth in the world was the roman catholic church before vatican ii 
the main poison which that council injected into the institutions of the church is the very poison of Protestant liberalism, that there is not a one true Church of Christ, but that, as the council says, all who look with faith toward Jesus may be considered to belong to his church. It's a quote from the council. This satanic doctrine stripped from the institutions of the Catholic Church their finest and essential quality, their unerring proposition of and adherence to a single set of unchanging dogmas and moral laws based on divine revelation. The Church before Vatican II was the rock that was not moved by any of the currents of the world. Okay, I feel better now. I have no idea who that was. I feel better now. I know that it went on longer. It's a good Bishop video. Sanborn. I get, can I just, I just want to say, like, I'm not going to, you know, go against blah, blah, blah. Any, uh, whatever you want to put a thing in front of there, to, you know, the, uh, the statement to save my own butt. But um, the one of the things that <laughs> atheists really do, yeah, disclaimer, atheists will use against a lot of, like, people who are trying to evangelize, like, when they say things like, oh, well, if your your church says that other churches can be fine, so why do you why would you do that? Like it is one of the things that has confused me the most is that the people who defend that type of statement, like, well, it's the it's the privileged way. And I won't say who said that, but we all know who said it. Like if you're talking to someone and you're trying to convince them, you know, like trying to get them trying to save their soul to get them to heaven, I and mean, you say but, you know, there are other ways you could do it that are probably easier because we got a bunch of rules that nobody likes. Like, how are you going to how are you selling that? <laughs> I just don't like, get it. Like eating meat on Friday. There was someone who said that, oh, if you eat meat on Friday, the church says that you'll go to hell. How can you possibly believe that this religion is true? I mean, for crying out loud, if, if that's really what's keeping you from heaven, then you don't deserve to go to be crying out. To be honest, if, if, if you can't even give a meat for a day. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> if you if you look back to the fasting traditions of the olden days, right? It would be I'm trying one right now. Just but uh you would you would you would not eat on Friday. They just you just wouldn't eat on Fridays. Fridays or Wednesdays. Wednesdays and Fridays would be days that you just didn't eat. Oh, it, at it, all. It, it or used to be that it was bread. It used to be the fact that you couldn't eat until sundown. Right? And in the Middle Ages, like in the, in the ninth century in the 800s, it was reduced back to like to to midday to to lunch period, but it used to be that the early Christians they didn't eat till sundown, right? And, and, the, now, and now, now we complain that we have to give up meat for, uh, for a whole day. And people, we're so and, soft, and people are like, you know, on Ash Wednesday it's a day of fasting. Well, what? You okay? So here's my, here's an unpopular opinion: Catholic fasts are weak. Not, our modern day, what does it what does it mean to fast for Catholic or, or for Catholics? Well, it means two small meals and one large meal. But the two small meals themselves can't equal one large meal. So if you're used to eating three pieces of pizza, you can have a piece of pizza for breakfast, a piece of pizza for lunch. And technically, those are collations because it's not based upon a certain size, based upon what you normally eat. So our fasting or requirements, like even if you were like, you know what, I'm going to fast every day of the week, you could survive a Catholic fast without any repercussion you could get no, based on that, that i fast practically every day of the year right <laughs> exactly 
if you're if you're snacking I you, all I think, day, I think many of us are guilty of inadvertently fasting. Like you're not even <laughs> offering it up. Exactly. Fast because it's like if I if I'm keeping the ancient tradition and I'm not eating or drinking anything until 10:30 mass, that stinker gets out about 12:30, and now it's like I get a little bit of coffee afterwards. I'm not gonna eat the donuts because I don't want them, and then I get home, you know, and after talking and stuff. Now it's like two o'clock. I basically right. fasted on Sunday. Yeah, and I mean, I and th- first of all, I would not eat a piece of pizza either at breakfast or at lunch or at dinner or enter or ever. Uh, and that's just, you will not eat it in a box. No, you will not, not eat it with a Fox. Tache heretic. I won't do it. I won't do it. I hate it. Uh, but, but, but to your point, uh, Catholic comedy, uh, what, uh, Catholic fasting is a joke. There's what I got to tell you a story. I never tell you guys like training stories or Marine Corps stories or war stories. But when I was in Quantico, Virginia, which is outside of D.C., gets pretty hot in the summer, you know, like 9,500 degrees, 100% humidity. It's, it's, it's a pretty nasty place in the summertime. And there are ticks and bugs and snakes and all this stuff. And we're doing a summer training, you know, uh, officer candidate school type stuff happens there. The basic school happens there where every brand new Marine officer becomes, every lieutenant becomes a provisional rifle platoon commander, something the Marine Corps does that the rest of the services don't do. Teach infantry tactics to anyone, even if they're going to be a computer nerd or a logistician or whatever. And we were training in the time to- at the at this time in the summertime. We were living outside for about a week, week and a half, and we had this devout Muslim officer who was with us. I think he was an exchange officer too. I don't I don't think he was an American. Uh, I think he was a Saudi or something. And we were training during Ramadan. And during Ramadan, we're running around outside in the tree line in Quantico, living outside when, you know, most of us are drinking two, three, four gallons of water a day because we're, you know, we're walking through the woods or running through the woods or whatever, playing war games, you know, up to like five miles a day, 10 miles a day. It's 100 degrees. It's hot. It's nasty. It's sticky. The spider webs are crawling all over. And this dude did not consume a drop of water all day from sunup to sundown. This man did not drink a drop of water. All of us are drinking gallons of water, or you know, I think we would have passed out, had a heat stroke. Now, to be fair, all night long, he was up drinking water. He was hydrating all night up until the moment that the sun crested over, and then he was like, okay, I can't drink any water anymore. So he missed some sleep because he spent the night uh, drinking water. But, I, I mean, compare that. Compare him. Compare his discipline and his commitment to his anti-religion, to his demon that he worships. And that's who the, that's who the Muslims worship is a demon. They're all Satanists. Uh, Muslims his commitment to his demon was way, way more pronounced Mm-hmm. than anything I've ever seen from a Western Catholic. I mean, th- th- your point is well taken, Catholic comedy. I don't think too many Western Catholics I know could go out into the into the um, you know the the wilderness of Quantico, Virginia for a hundred degrees for twelve hours with fifty pounds on your back plus your plus your gear uh, and not even drink water as yeah. part of a black fast. Right. And like our, our so now, and nowadays they try to make it even easier, right? It's like, you know what? You can fast from TV. That's your fasting. It's like, no, it's not a fast. 
It's an abstinence, first off. Fasting specifically relates to food. But you, people are like, you know what? It's okay. You'll find a priest that's like, yeah, uh, you know what? Instead of giving up something, do something extra. You know, instead of, instead of like, you know, instead of, instead of giving up meat on Fridays, why don't you say an extra or say a rosary every day? It's like, you should be saying a rosary every day. Well, why don't you say another rosary? Like, okay, but I should still be like, you still need to fast and abstain. It's, it's important. It's part of conditioning your body. And we have such a problem with, um, we have such a problem with, you know, like pornography addiction, right? And the best way really to, to get control over your, over the, those lustful tendencies is to start with fasting. Because if you fast, you, you're controlling your body's basis desire, right? Which is the desire to eat, which is not an, it's not a bad desire. It's a, it's a righteous desire. But if you can control your body's desire to eat, right? You can control any part of you, right? You can, you can, you can do anything. If you can, if you can go 72 hours without eating, right? And in a culture that we have right now where food is just everywhere, right? You can get food anywhere you want to at any point in time for a relatively cheap price. Bad food for you, terrible food, but you still can get food 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? And that's not always going to be the case as we, you know, you guys likely have thought to (laughs) with all the stuff that's going on. That's not always going to be the case, but we, if you're unable to just not eat for a couple days, you're not going to survive any sort of real conflict situation. Yeah, you know what? That's a very good point. And uh, think about this: uh, the universality of fasting. You know, uh, if you were living in a society today that no longer understands what it is to fast, you know, it, it's a lot easier, right, to do things in common with other people. It's a lot easier to enter into prayer and come up with other people to live this understanding of what. Uh, you know, fasting is sometimes the, the, the context of uh, understanding fasting happens around other people. You, you're striving together with other people and it becomes easier. The, the burden becomes easier. And before you know it, you, your body has been conditioned. You know, so today we're trying to do things alone. We're trying to do things. We go to work. No one else is fasting around us. You go to mass, you know, or church on Sunday. People have different types of uh what quote unquote fasting is, as uh, Catholic comedy was just saying, you know, it's so it's harder to actually know uh, where to start and, you know, h- how to move, you know, especially in the period of Lent through through Lent, you know, having this idea of, uh, you know, fasting when everything, everything is so vastly different now, you know, so we're so confused. Uh, thanks to the Novo Soto world of what general fasting sh- should be. You know, and then well, it's, it's, diff- it's more difficult for people now to actually uh, um, fast. It, when it they goes, was... Go ahead. It goes back before the Novus Ordo. I mean, the, the, the fasting has been laxing for quite some time, right? Like, like you go back to the beginning and it was on Fridays, you don't eat any kind of living, fr- living flesh, right? That, that was, that was it. Right. And then, or for, and you would basically, you would fast on Fridays and if you could eat Wednesday anything, and Friday, actually, early yeah, on. it was Wednesday and Friday. Yeah. And if you could eat anything, it was going to be like, like salt bread, you know, nothing that's going to be pleasing to the palate at all. If you've ever had like hardtack, basically that type of stuff. And then people are like, well, you know what, John the Baptist, he ate locust. So we should be able to eat locust, but what is shrimp? But the shrimp is just locust of the sea. So nobody really ate locusts because nobody (laughs) wanted to. But they were like, you know what? Shrimp is basically sea locusts, so we can eat shrimp and other shellfish. 
and then it went from shellfish to all things in the in the water. And even there's some traditions even back in the day that said you could eat birds because birds were were created in the same day as fish, and therefore they're fish. And even today, it's like, oh, you can eat fish on Friday, and what's fish? Well, beaver apparently because it lives in the water. It's considered a fish. A gator, it's fish, right? And it's but like those types of things have been going forward. And I understand in part the dispensation hold on hold on you're the you can eat beaver is not the same thing as you can eat two or three two and a half meals yeah so in in the nova (laughs) Florida, like that's just not the same thing what what like like the reason why beaver the reason why the fasting was the fasting was relaxed was because people in uh in like the the 1800s the industrial revolution you were working in a coal mine you weren't working in the field you're working in a coal mine and if you you know, if you if you were weakened at all, you could die. And so the the bishops in their like being charitable, like, OK, you can have some small meals with you. Right. You can have a couple small meals. You got to keep your strength up and you can those meals can contain meat because uh, because you need the, the protein, you need the strength. Uh, and, and then but like that was the idea. And then we got out of the coal mines. Nobody works in the coal mine anymore. But we, we've we've kept the the you know the allowance and some Catholics never fast even on their the days we're supposed to fast or they're like never fast at all even by the really loosest definition of fasting the two collations and the one meal some Catholics still don't do any of that right they're not they're not even like we have such a low bar for fasting and they're like you know what it's too much. It's too much for me. I have to have a full breakfast, a full lunch, and a full dinner, and and then snacks in between, and like, and then you we wonder why there are so many people who have issues with with uh with sin, because yeah, if you can't yeah, tri- if you can't if you can't fast, right, you're done. Like you, you you can't expect someone to be able to control lust if they're not able to control hunger, right? So they have yeah, to no, start that- there. That's definitely true. Um, it's definitely true. We've we've been going two hours. We do have to get to the unpopular opinions and the grifter segment in order to help us transition. Here's a fake dead body. We're going to use the at least at least 59 people killed, at least 149 people wounded. Those numbers are going to go up. There's just no question about that. I mean, you have fierce fighting in a number of locations around the country. You mentioned Chernobyl. Russian forces quickly overtaking that area. We understand they are still in control. The other thing that went went down today um, that was of huge importance was Russian paratroopers went into an airfield 15 miles outside of Kiev, and for a short period of time this afternoon. That's just post-death spasms, right? That's perfectly normal. And that was all the time. That that guy, that guy is uh, apparently he's ready for sainthood. He has resurrected, uh, you know, miraculously resurrected. So something's going on here. This is uh, yeah, this is true. Um, okay, Catholic comedy. You probably already know this. We do these unpopular opinions every week. The whole point is to say something that's objectively unpopular. Have you prepared one, or do I need to jump in? Because we only do four, because we put out a poll on Twitter. We can only have four. Okay. Uh, I get, come back to me. Come back to me. All right, I've got well, a couple in my brain, but I want to see what everybody else does. First. Okay, we'll start with Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, uh, you lead us off with the unpopular opinions. Okay, so my unpopular opinion is that the sacrament of confirmation, the sacrament that uh, you know brings out so many of the things implicitly present in baptism strengthens you as a Catholic, makes you a soldier of Christ. This sacrament um, in the ancient church was given at infancy. 
when you were baptized, you would receive uh, confirmation, and then you receive Holy Communion at infancy. And we know this for a number of reasons. One anecdotal reference to St. Cyprian mentions, you know, that uh, during the persecution, an infant that he gave communion to violently uh, uh, vomited up the communion because his wet nurse had taken him to, to a pagan sacrifice in order to get, you know, to show that she had worshipped at the, you know, with the pagans and whatnot and uh, to get uh, out of being in trouble, right? So, it, but as the things develop, you have two different, you know, splits in the way confirmations administered. In the East, they basically make, even though the priest is still the extraordinary minister, I don't know how their theology properly, you know, puts it out, but they basically said that the, the permission for the priest to confirm is given by the bishop giving it the chrism. In the West, we put that primacy on the bishop doing confirmation only very rarely with the priest as an extraordinary minister, you know, be allowed to administer confirmation until more recently. So as dioceses got bigger and places got bigger, the bishop couldn't get around. So confirmation was delayed longer. And then it became a thing where it was given, you know, later on in, in life. And now we're at this point where it's like, let your kids be formed by the world. Let them be worldly. And at 15, 16, oh into a confirmation class and and then uh, give them the sacrament uh, after they've already been formed by the world. And so my unpopular opinion is that we should be bringing this back. Frankly, I think we should bring it back to infancy the way the Eastern Church does it. We have auxiliary bishops. We have easy travel now. Get it done. It's not that hard um, or delayed only very slightly. But if you're not going to do that, then at least at the very, very least, we should be giving confirmation prior to the reception of Holy Communion at the age of reason, at the very, very least. And so that's my unpopular opinion is that confirmation needs to be given earlier and before we do First Holy Communion. All, All right. right. My unpopular opinion is going to piggyback right after, after Ryan because it has to do with like a lot of the, uh, the desire of, of Catholics to, to live according to the pre-55 rituals or the pre-55 rites, mentality, etc. Uh, Pope Pius X actually did this in the sense that the order of the sacraments in the Roman Rite were baptism, confirmation, and Holy Communion. But he had the desire when he reformed the, you know, it, it, he, he was actually a Pope of, of reform. Um, he had the desire that uh, more people receive Holy Communion as much as possible. There was actually a young girl in Ireland who, who desired to receive Holy Communion, but she was, wasn't of the age. I mean, she first had to receive confirmation and then Holy Communion. And so he moved back to the age of Holy Communion, but he leapfrogged confirmation. And so then the order of the sacraments became baptism, Holy Eucharist, and then confirmation. Um, some bishops, like uh, get the bishop, the Archbishop of of of, of Denver, um, Aquila, Archbishop Aquila. Aquila, when he when he was the bishop of Fargo, North Dakota, he actually reordered the sacraments in his diocese, and he did it again when he was Archbishop of Denver to be baptism, confirmation, Holy Eucharist, as opposed to bas uh, baptism, Holy Eucharist, confirmation. Um, so he did this, but the, the mentality of, of Pope, uh, Pi Pope St. Pius X was that the majority of people should be, people should have access to receiving Holy Communion. Now I say this to, to piggyback off of Ryan only because um, there are two pre-55 fasts uh, in the church. One is the midnight fast, and the other one is a three-hour fast. Now, which which one should people opt for? Well, this is this is it's it's interesting because it's, it's mathematical in the sense that um, when it was the midnight fast, 
it was very often that that mass was at 5 a.m. in the morning. I remember when I was in Denver, actually, the SSPX had mass at 5, 8, 5 o'clock in the morning, and I would have to you know, leave my house at 5.30 a.m. just to get to mass at 5. But the reality was I was waking up at 4 to get to mass at 5. And so literally just fasting for 30 minutes after I woke up just to, re- to receive Holy Communion or t- to attend mass and to receive Holy Communion. So it was 30 minutes to an hour from, from my wake-up time. Um, if you think about it later – when the pre uh, when the three hour fast was enacted, uh, sixty two rubrics were enacted. Um, you would wake up later, but attend mass later as well. And so the three hour fast was actually a longer fast than in, in practice. In practice, the three hour fast was a longer fast. You were fasting for three full hours before you received holy communion. Then when 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 it was a midnight fast, and you were just waking up an hour before mass or thirty minutes before mass just to get there in time. Uh, so my unpopular opinion is that. If the midnight fast, because there's several people that are that are that are trying this out, that are that are trying to live the more traditional life, and I commend them for it. it, it it's you know it's a good desire, but if the midnight fast is making you receive Holy Communion less, that's not good. the The desire of of Pope Saint Pius X was that people should be receiving Holy Communion more often. And so we, we should, given that both both disciplines, both the midnight fast and the and the three hour fast, were both were legitimately promulgated by legitimate popes. Um, if if, as a traditionalist Catholic, you are opting for the midnight fast over the three hour fast, um, it's not incongruent. It, it's not congruent with the desire of Pope Saint Pius X, um, and his desire that uh, people should be receiving Holy Communion more often. I just, I want to, a couple things. <laughs> First, uh, Bishop Olmsted here in Phoenix also uh, moved co- uh, confirmation and uh, First Communion to the same, or now that that happened at the same time and at the age of reason, so around age seven. Although you can get it earlier if the priest says it's cool to get it earlier. Uh, I have two daughters that are five that are scheduled to get it next week. Um, but... I'm envious. Our bishop insists on like 14 or 15 or some ridiculous age like yeah, that. Yeah, it's that's what it used to be here, um, which is why I didn't get confirmed until I returned to the church at like 27. So there is there's some stuff. Um, second, uh, it, I don't understand why the midnight fast would stop someone from receiving communion. Like that, I don't I don't get that. Like, how does that work? Because you're you're just fasting. I guess maybe. I do the midnight fast and it's never stopped me from receiving communion. <laughs> I just don't eat until communion. I do go nine o'clock. Maybe if it's a 12 o'clock mass, whatever. I just don't eat. You know, just, you do take that sacrifice on, but are there really people out there who are like, I went to, uh, I, I'm fasting since midnight. Um, and so I'm, maybe I ate something this morning. So I'm just not going to receive. It's like, is that, is that the thought? I don't know. You want to, okay. So those are my kind of, weirdness with the thing that you that you were saying uh, that, well, I mean, I, the, the truth is, is yeah is, is is i mean i there's the thing between adults and also children mm-hmm. and of course the adults want to 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 uh raise their children and congruence with them because they don't want their kids asking their adults questions and, and so of course children can't go long without eating in the morning like they can't go to the 10 or 10 30 11 high mass without eating a yeah. single bite because it's a yeah. midnight fast well, yeah, so but, it um, is, and the, and the thing is, pre fifty five masses. There were plenty of masses earlier, earlier in the morning, so where that wouldn't have been an issue. 
And and that's a, that's the thing too is that pre fifty five there were options to go to if you really couldn't uh, bear the hunger um, yeah. to go to. Whereas and now, in cities, people sometimes got up and went to an early mass and would go back to the high mass with their family, you know, exactly. or at least with their older children. She actually didn't take kids to mass in those days. The younger exactly. below the age so, of reason. But yeah, but, like, but your kids aren't obliged to follow any fasting rules until they're like fourteen anyway. So like. I, I just don't see it as I, I understand what you're saying. Um, I just well, 18, right? Well, it's, it, I well, mean, here, it was 14 back in those days. Here's, here's oh, yeah, back in those days, yeah. The truth of the matter is that many, many Catholics have to commute <clears throat> sometimes pretty far to get to a Latin Mass, and they don't always have Masses in the morning. And in some dioceses, you know, for example, in San Antonio, Texas, I know that their mass is at like one or two in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. In uh, the east part of Los Angeles, the Latin mass is at one in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I I do think that people run into issues where uh, they they might consume a morsel of food after midnight and before the 3 p.m. mass in Austin, Texas, (laughs) 3 p.m. downtown Austin, Texas. Right. Um, and, have a snack. and and then they have scruples <laughs> about it. So uh, this, like, is, this is a real thing. Not all of us have an Olmstead Catholic yeah. comedy. All right. So, okay. So, so, <laughs> so that, that point, like that's just, so people being scrupulous is going to be people being scrupulous. And I think the, right, given the right. option of like the three hour of since minute, I would choose. But that's brother Martin's right. opinion. That, that's, that's the nature of his unpopular opinion though. His unpopular okay. opinion is look, the, the midnight fast applied in a certain place in a certain time in a certain context. That's mm-hmm. what he's saying. Right. Okay. All right. It doesn't, I, I just, the midnight clarify. fast may not apply if you're mad, if you, if the only uh, Latin mass that you find acceptable, if you live in Austin, Texas, where Abby Johnson goes to mass at St. Mary's in downtown Austin at 3 PM. It's like, okay, well, I guess every Sunday, I'm supposed to like Sunday is is Easter. Sunday is a feast day, and on my feast day, I am fasting for 15 hours until I get get out of mass. At 5 p.m. is the first time I can eat. That seems a little ridiculous to me. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I, I suppose. I suppose. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll I'll give it. I'll give it to you. But but, that, <laughs> but, 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 that, but that's the issue is is that we don't we don't, we don't ex- exist in the we don't live in the circumstances as they did in pre pretty five to 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 live the the midnight fast and so um yeah people shouldn't beat themselves. No, you're, the you're, yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, brother. Because p- people were rolling out of bed and walking down the block to their mm-hmm. private neighborhood churches, right? You know, so there wasn't a long commute first of all, and churches were diamond dozen you know back in those days and so it was very easy to maintain that uh midnight fast whereas today like uh mike was just saying you know you're traveling where, where i had to go to mass in austin you know uh mass is at 4 p.m i guess you know in some places and uh yeah you know you get up in the morning you might have so- something to tide you to to the after you know to the afternoon you know of course so if you're inclined to uh, or if you're conditioned to have those smaller meals or maybe a bite of something to keep you, you know, that's great. But if you're waking up in the morning and just, you know, eating morning, afternoon, and then going to mass at four o'clock, maybe that's a little, that's maybe that's overdoing it, of course. But no one's saying don't yeah. have anything before you go to 4 p.m. mass. I just, yeah. I just don't want to get, don't get, get to the point where some of them, it's like, 
Yeah, don't don't just so long as you don't eat before an hour uh, an hour before you receive. It's like so long as you show up and you're not actively eating in the pew, you're fine. Like that, that's what that's what a lot of some of these churches turned into. It's like if you're not eating in the pew, you're okay. And so you have people who are who show up and they've they've just eaten breakfast. They're drinking their coffee, and then once mass starts, they put their coffee cup down next to them. Like okay, oh yeah, I've, I've before. seen that before. Just put a sign yeah. on the door that says no food or drink, right. and you're you're okay. Right. And you have to probably right. Like, right. But if it's a big parish, and the and 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 the celebrant uh, gives a twenty five or thirty minute homily, and you sit in the back. Then yeah, you could walk. You could literally walk in with your soy non-fat, uh, extra dairy, whatever. Like uh, you could sit in the front latte. row and no one you would say anything. You could shove that thing, sit in the back, and you could still s- make the hour mark. I'm just saying, like you could sit in the front row and and be drinking up until the point where you go up to receive communion in some churches, and they'd be like, whatever. I mean, that's Oof, like man. I'm I'm not saying that's not the uh, okay. So let me do my unpopular opinion. Off of these two unpopular or these two unpopular opinions, uh, actually just off the last one, I uh, my unpopular opinion is bring back the old fasts is that we need to get used to not eating generally because you have no idea what what the heck is going to go on in the next couple of years with food supplies and food chains and what we can afford and blah, blah, blah. But in general, we need to fortify ourselves and uh, we need to fortify our bodies and our souls. And the and one of the best ways you can do that is one of the ways that, you know, Christ tells us to is that, you know, it's like when you fast, these are the things you do. Not if you fast, but when you fast. And we need to do things like, like bring ab- bring back abstinence on every Friday as a church rule, not as an optional requirement for some for some folks. Like every Friday, it's it's abstaining from meat. And I, I would even go so far as to say every Friday you should abstain from as much as you can. Um, I would want to do like a, personally, I'm going to try to do like every Friday is a, is a fast. You don't eat from midnight to midnight on a Friday. Um, But I think we need to bring back some of those, some of those traditional fasts to just strengthen up our people, our children and our families and like ourselves. So we'll be able to meet whatever challenges that are sent out to us. Um, Like, and Ember days, right? Don't eat on an Ember day. Just don't eat. And if it's if it means that you're going to do a 60 hour fast, you work up to it. Right. That's the rest of the season is that you don't eat on Friday so that you'll be prepared. And then you start eating better so that you're not going to be super hungry because you've eaten all the processed sugars all the time. So my unpopular opinion, bring back the old fasts. Hi, you're muted, Mike. Mike, you're muted. I'm so sorry. I was just saying, <laughs> you're probably not going to win because it's not very unpopular what you said, but it's a great opinion. It's, it's unpopular in the, in the world. It's unpopular. And there are a lot of Catholics, not with your audience, but Catholics in general. I had, so let me tell you what happened today. Uh, I was working, I work from home and, and, and part of my helping take care of my mother is that she helps watch my kids as an excuse for me to give her money because she won't take money for me as charity. Um, but so she made me lunch and she brought it to me and I said, no, I'm fasting today. I can't eat. And so she, she took it away. And then she told my sister who called her priest and asked if we were supposed to starve ourselves on a, on Fridays. And the priest said, no, no, you get two small meals and one or, or two small meals and one large meal. So long as the two small meals don't equal up to a large meal who then sent me like, they got a text of it, sent a screenshot to me saying, you shouldn't starve yourself on a Friday. Like I, I wasn't starving myself. This is just a fast 
on, you know, it's like, it's going to be like a 60 or 72 hour fast. It's not starvation. I'm fine. I could lose 40 pounds and be also fine. Like this isn't going to kill me. I don't understand what the freak out is because that's, you know, and that's, that's from my family who like went to a priest to try to overrule my desire to have a fast because the, because that's just how the Catholic culture is. Now I'm not saying the people are here on the, that are watching the rundown are of that ilk. I'm just saying that Catholic culture as a whole is of that ilk. That this the, been, listen, the Catholic comedy, this is a normie free zone. James, unpopular opinion. <laughs> uh, very good. My popular opinion might be, um, let's see, this week, uh, it should be regularized uh, gender segregation in gymnasiums, in the gym. Ooh. How about that? Ooh, that's a, that's a gender segregation. Yeah, I can't stand it, you know. Um not that I'm doing that now, but, um, you know, I hear people in their stories all the time and it's frustrating, uh, but it would just make things easier if if people are going to the gym, if there's a door on the left for one sex and a door on the right for another sex, it just makes it easier. And guess what? You would have a lot more people feeling comfortable about going in there and perhaps, uh, you know, wearing uh, uh, certain clothes that might be uncomfortable for them to, to wear with the other sex. It, it becomes a place where they're, feeling uh more more comfortable in their skin so you know so to speak so i think this is something that it's a high time you know you should should get that regularized you you can get the normies on board in in saying that that women would feel less pressured by you know by by the presence of men in their gym it's just that you'd have a harder time selling the fact that men get their own gym too uh wait a second second. you get the normies on board by saying the word woman are you kidding me? How are you spelling that? <laughs> With W-Y-M-Y-N. a Y M Y N. That's a woman. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sweet <laughs> uh, Guys, this is what we do at the end of the show with our remaining uh, time together. Wait, but we before you do that, you Sorry, Ryan. I clicked the oh, button. I was going to say, before you do that, uh, we should show the results of uh last mm. week's uh, oh you just want to tell the results because he won i want to i need to i want to recount i want to recount because my unpopular opinion was literally the opposite of what you typed on twitter i was didn't it? say it, it was literally the opposite i said if you sleep train your babies, they won't be good at math. And you said my unpopular opinion was to sleep train your babies so that they are good at math. Oh, I was no. I was yeah, shocked. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. It sounded like you were saying bed sharing is what is is that's what I read it as. You said bed sharing is okay. Oh no. All right. Well, I typed up the end top speak in the our our own chat. I know, and, and I ignored so, it. I know. So anyone, <laughs> anyone that sees it before I put up the poll, say, hey, you got that wrong. That way I'll put it up correctly next time. Oh, my goodness. All <laughs> right. First of all, Ignatian Examine is telling us how to spell women in the chat. There we go. And that's I, it. I'm bringing that's it on the screen. It. That's it. That's uh, it. We should that's show it. the results every week, Mrs. C says. That's a good habit. We shall. I'll make yeah. sure we start doing that. Yeah, good job. Yeah, good job, Ryan. Okay, fine. All right. 
<laughs> Can we grift now? <laughs> James, what are, you, what are you reading or recommending this week? Um, I was waiting for our, our I, gift. Oh, yeah, the gift didn't come up. Um, well, this week I'm money, still money, sort money, of. Uh, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. <I'm here. laughs> We're just being rude. Brother, James doesn't know. Yeah, brother, James brother, he does. Brother Martin is just singing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, Captain Comedy, Chinese, settle down. Simmer down there. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, this week, I'm not reading anything new. I'm still reading. I, I get my book. It's uh, Victories of the Martyr, uh, which I I read on occasion. Victories of the Martyrs by uh, San Alfonso de Liguori. I can't reach it from here to show you. Um, but I'm sure Ryan has, uh, you know, a copy on Vignette Express. Re- you're not reading anything new this week? No, no, no. It's always every once in a while it's good to, to grab, a, you know, uh, a nice goody and oldie. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one that I can always, uh, you know, sort of share uh, stories to my, my kids. Just short enough stories. Some of them short enough stories. You share the glories of the martyrs uh, of the early age in the church. And, uh, you know, they're very good stories. And ch- children sometimes are uplifted. Well, most of the time are uplifted by hearing those stories of uh, uh, valiant uh, uh, heroes of, of uh, our Lord in, in the early church. And so, uh, especially in Lent, you know, uh, we're, we're thinking of uh, the end of the world. And, uh, well, that's more Advent. But, you know, during Lent, we're thinking of uh, what it means to be to be Catholic and what our Lord did to sacrifice for us. And uh, we hear the, the glories of these uh, martyrs. And that sort of lifts us up to uh, to continue, continue to persevere uh, in this season, you know, learn to give up things of the flesh so that we can persevere uh, spiritually. So it's a good book. It's called uh, Victories of the Martyrs, and it's by St. Alphonsus de Liguori. I'm reading it off, off uh, my bookshelf in the background. Uh, most excellent. Brother Martin, grifting. www.elvisstenaugustin.com for all of my daily needs. Um, as, as a community, a new, new monastic community up here in Western Missouri. Um, I also have to grift uh, our accountant who's been very, very generous with us um, in helping the Obis St. Augustine, Matthew Pless, uh, P-L-E-S-E-0916 at gmail.com. Um, he's been very generous to us. He's a, he's a faithful Catholic. He's on Twitter at Catholic Life. Um, and very, very, very traditional, very, very uh, willing to help us out and and I'm sure he, he could use any of your of your support and any of you who are uh, uh, anything of, of, of taxes in about a month before they're due. So, ooh, uh, my favorite time of year, Ryan. Speaking of taxes, I could use some grift to help me pay my my thefts. Uh, that is my my taxes um, <laughs> because I don't hold that taxation is theft absolutely because the church does not hold that position. But I do believe firmly that the way it's done in the United States is in fact. Uh, theft. So I didn't bring the books with me uh, when I came over to the Cigar Lounge, uh, but I will. Now that I have the last week I tried this and it was on a different tab and it didn't show up or a different uh, thing. So anyway, so are we seeing this? We got it. Yep. Yes, All sir. right. St. Joseph. So I got, I got my copies in and, um, and it's a fantastic, wonderful book. Uh, you know, Fairly small that the, the price there is showing the hardcover. Um, oh, that's weird. 
I'm going to have to go and find out why it's only showing the hardcover. That, that would probably explain why I don't have any paperback sales. But I did mm. sell my case of um, a hardcover. I do have paperback, so I'll be fixing that pretty soon. But it's uh, basically meditations uh, and uh, little historical bits in the life of St. Joseph for every day of the month of March. And we're somewhat through March, but I still got it. I'll be fixing the paperback thing pretty soon. Um, tonight, actually. So you'll be able to get that. Um but anyway, just a wonderful book to pick up. And even if you, you get it, you can start on day one and finish in, in April. And then you'll have it to start on March 1st next year. And then next I have uh, The Life of the Venerable Luis de Pont, or in Spanish, uh, I don't know why it's Franco, uh, Francophone, but the Spanish is uh, Luis de la Puente. He was a Jesuit in the 16th century, again, back when being a Jesuit was a good thing. And he, uh, it's, this is a really great biography of him and his spiritual life. It's great spiritual reading for Lent. Um, and he wrote a number of spiritual treatises, which I'm working on seeing which, if any of them were in English that I can get back into print. Because um, I, I don't have the time for a translation project. But he did do a few, uh, a few works that have not been translated. So when I get, you know, a good bit of money behind me, I'm going to get find a good Spanish translator to work on that. And then... The Ascent of Mind, the Mind to God, but the Ladder of Creation. Um, you know, another excellent treatise by St. Robert Bellarmine, Doctor of the Church. Can't get wrong, all about how to distance yourself from worldly things, but at the same time, use these world, you know, basically the world around us, all of the beauties of nature to help us get closer to God. So, all of these works available at mediatrixpress.com. And uh, you know, help me continue to support my family, as well as uh, get good books, uh, you know, for souls, for uh, your, you know, improving your spiritual life. Excellent. Catholic comedy. What, uh, if anything, can you? All right. Everything I do, I do for free. So I don't have anything to sell. Um but I would be appreciative if people went to catholiccomedy.com and looked at some of the content that I have up there. I need like 12 more followers on uh, or subscribers on my YouTube channel in order to be able to get a custom URL. It would be like youtube.com slash channel slash Catholic comedy. And um, sorry, one of my kids was, doing something on the intercom uh so catholiccomedy.com would be i would be appreciate or would appreciate it you can also follow me at at catholic underscore comedy on twitter i also have a gab and gab tv if you're on gab so catholic comedy on gab um and yeah so that's that's kind of the stuff i do um at the so every year uh, we put on well, it's it's starting to be annual. I did it this earlier this year, but we're going to be doing it again next year. Is the Saint Philip Neri Festival here in uh, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona area? It's in Mesa, Arizona, technically, um, where we get together and basically it's just a festival for everyone to have a great time. Um, and uh, we had Father Lito Paddling Hug and the Catholic Man Show come out this year, uh, and we had a, a great turnout about 500 people showed up for it and so what i would want to say is that um if you want to throw your own uh saint philip neary festival you contact me and i'll be more than helpful to help you or more than hope or more than willing to help you get something like that off the ground uh because this is part of the whole idea of bringing people together uh, within your community is you start off by getting everyone together 
Uh, it's separate for it would be separate from the diocese, although we do have this, a, a diocesan blessing. We made sure we got a blessing from the bishop, but it's not part. It's not from any particular parish or for any particular parish. It's just a bunch of Catholics in your area getting together to have a good time. Um, so that's kind of uh, that's I guess that's my grift. Um, I'm also currently reading the uh, life of Saint Philip Neri, which is a nice little book, and I just picked up this book of Dominion by uh, Father Ripperger. Um, and if you if you can't read it, you can at least use it to bludgeon any demons that try to attack you because this is thick uh, and full of information. So I'm starting to read this, um, but I'm also reading The Life of St. Philip Neri. It's this little book that my wife got me for Christmas. Um, and it's actually it's actually really good and learning about uh, about the saints. Um, and if you enjoy daily mass, you can thank St. Philip Neri for it because uh, he was very, he was a stickler for making sure that there was mass every mm -hmm. single day and that priest said mass every day. So very cool. Excellent. Well, that was a good grift. Hey, uh, this week, I, I don't do this very often. Uh, in fact, I go weeks without talking about it, but many of you know that I am in litigation with church militant. And um, I just want to remind everyone that if you have the opportunity to donate to my legal defense fund at givesendgo.com slash defeat CMTV, I'd be most grateful for that. The lawsuit is becoming very expensive and Church Militant has acknowledged that. In fact, they've laughed about it. They've snickered about it in public. They've said publicly on Twitter that I can't afford this lawsuit. Well, that's true because they got me fired from my job. A lot of you maybe don't know that. They contacted my business partners and pressured them into firing me, making veiled threats that they would out my business partners as traditional Catholics. I recently have caught them red-handed conducting cyber attacks against me and other people on Twitter, and I caught Michael Voris specifically red-handed on tape lying about me as he's flying around the country in first class with his posse of adoring 20-year-olds who follow him around, who are single, no families there. Um, I don't understand why this is happening to me. It all happened because I raised money for Father James Jackson, FSSP, so that he could have a legal defense. Christine Niles at Church Militant emailed me specifically that she didn't want Father Jackson to have one single penny. That's a direct quote. She said, not one penny for Father Jackson's legal defense. I don't know why she, as an attorney, would want to deprive a man of his legal defense or why she would deny him the presumption of innocence or his absolute right to maintain his silence and his silence not be used or implied as his guilt. But she has done those things on Twitter. She has convicted him of the heinous crimes that he is accused of. And so because I got involved with Father Jackson, Church Militant has come after me. They've gone after my entire personal life, and they have uh, done everything they can to silence me and to take down RTF. If you can donate to my legal defense, givesendgo.com slash defeat CMTV. I would be most appreciative of it because somebody has to stand up to these people. Cyber attacks, spying on you on Twitter, calling your bosses, lying about you around the country. These are objective things that they've done. Some of them may not be legal. And, um, well, I'm not going to back down. And with your help, I can continue this fight all the way till the end until they're defeated. 
Hey, this is the rundown. This has been a great episode. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Make sure that you subscribe to the brand new rundown YouTube channel, the rundown on YouTube. Uh, we've gone from zero to 300 people in one day. Super excited about that. Hopefully everybody uh, ends up migrating over here. Let's keep the Catholic uh, tradition alive and let's keep the tech oligarchs on their toes. Good night. Good night.